This podcast contains content and language not suitable for some listeners. Welcome to Oddities and Curiosities, a podcast about murder, the paranormal, and other oddities sure to pique your curiosity. We are Amanda and Brittany, and it's episode 24, part one. Part one. We're doing something kind of crazy. It's prolific Prolific serial killers. There you go. That part one. (laughs) Yeah, it's fine. So we've done something a little bit different because the topic is so, oh my God, <laughs> vast, um, important. You don't want to leave out any details when talking about a prolific serial killer. Right. And they're classified as prolific for a very good reason. So we've decided to give each of us our very own episode. This week, Brittany will be doing hers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a whole episode of Britney. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, you're welcome. (laughs) And then next week it will be all me. Yeah. So, so sorry we didn't warn you, but here's your heads up. But here you are. If you don't like my voice, turn it off now. (laughs) Come back next week. Shut the fuck up. Okay. No. Okay. We love your voice, Brittany. I'm, I'm sure I speak joking. for everyone out there. I'm just joking. That they love us equally, and we are both just as equally awesome. Okay. 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 I think we are anyways. <laughs> so, before we get started, it's hum- it's hump day. Hump day. Hum, hum, hump day. <laughs> <laughs> Do the hump day. Hump. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't know. She danced when she did, when she did, said that. It, it was a thing. Okay. It was a thing. Uh my prolific serial killer. Okay. Who's near and dear to my heart. Yes. Very. John Wayne Gacy. Mm-hmm. AKA the killer clown. Oh my god. <laughs> and that, I, that makes him crazy just right there. Uh, yeah. It's it's a whole thing. And if you don't if you've never heard of him, buckle up. Oh my god. Y'all just yeah. get fucking ready because she's got a lot for us and i'm so excited yes yeah but to um precursor the hump day treat thing yeah he did a stint at kfc yeah he did <laughs> he managed a, a kentucky fried chicken Mm-hmm. so um there's that so with that i got us some kfc tonight yes some chicken littles they were so good yeah, they're gone. We, they're gone. We pretty much devoured them already because we were starving. Mm-hmm. Um, but I got the honey barbecue and the regular. The regular's my jam. Yeah, I'm I'm digging that one way more. I love the pickle crunch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they have good pickles. They do. Those were good pickles. And our drink, I got some beer. Because what goes with fried chicken better than beer? Right? I really wanted to do like a bucket of fried chicken, but I was like, there's no way that we can sit there and record (laughs) while eating fried chicken. (laughs) That would not have been cute. So I got something a little quieter and (laughs) a little less messy. Yes. It was perfect. (laughs) Um, But the beer I got is called Love Street. Um, It's a blonde. It's made in 
Texas. Car Carbock? I don't know. Carbock Brewing Company. Yeah. Yeah. The cans are super cute. They are really cute. And I've had this once before and I was like, you know, I remember liking that. Someone get that. It's pretty good. It's not bad. Um we're pretty close to being done with our first can. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Already. It's pretty hippy-dippy looking, and it says music to your beer on it. I know, isn't that cute? <laughs> oh, it's kind of like um, oh. 60s, 70s, and my case is like 60s, 70s. Look, it has it has some history on the back of it. Oh, that's too much to read. It is a lot to read. But in the 1960s, on Allen's Landing, set Love Street, a hot spot of music and social impact. Okay. There's way more to it. So apparently, it's so cute. This is a Kolsch style and hopped delicately with floral <laughs> German hops. <laughs> this beer boasts a clean malt profile that refreshes to the core without sacrificing character. So crack one open and find your own love street. Okay. Okay. Did that. Did that. Can one. Gone. Mm-hmm. It's good. We we prefer the blondes instead of the brunettes, apparently. <laughs> Which is weird. Yeah, because we're brunette. Mm-hmm. But whatever. Naturally, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> well, I'm a natural bluehead. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> okay. Um, if you want to see Brittany's bluehead, go to Facebook and Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> on Facebook, we are Oddities and Curiosities pod something. <laughs> and we're that on Instagram, too. So, go. She's slapping her forehead. I, I, currently, I am that emoji. I'm the facepalm emoji right now. Hold on. It's fine. My brain. Okay, Facebook, we're Oddities and Curiosities podcast on Instagram. <laughs> Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> We're oddities and curiosities. <laughs> I can't say too much because I don't know. My brain is fried. It's been a long week. Because I, I apologize, y'all. I, I really do apologize. If you just type in oddities and curiosities. Apparently, if you type in oddities podcast, we pop up. Yeah. Because. On Apple, right? Amazon Music. Amazon Music. So we had a new person that we noticed that um, she was liking all of her stuff. And I was like, hold on, Brittany, do you know this girl? And she's like, no, do you know this girl? And I was like, no. So I contacted her. <laughs> and I was like, no. <laughs> and she's super cool. Her name is Karma. As all of our curious little oddballs are. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's what y'all are now, by the way. You are curious little oddballs. We had a business meeting on we our did. lunch break one day. It took like five seconds. And I was yeah. like, hey, I'm going to call them oddballs. And she was like, curious little oddballs? And I was like, fuck yeah. So that's what you guys are. So you're welcome. <laughs> welcome to the crew. We know that y'all were just like dying for a nickname. I mean, it had to happen eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, she just randomly found us on Amazon Music. And I was like, that is so freaking cool i'm so glad it's easier for you guys to find and yeah. that's all because you guys are rating reviewing downloading like right all that's this awesome not us. stuff that's y'all yes. that's y'all so woo-hoo. thank you y'all are awesome yeah. I just woohooed <laughs> you did she oh my god I'm such a mom <laughs> 
She's just white girl you hooed, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. Anyways, the point of all that. Go look at our photos yes. for the cases. Was to go to social media about them because that's what the social media does. Uh, we also post things that are going on. We also post funny little things. So pop on over and go give us a follow. Pop on over. <laughs> I don't know. I like it. <laughs> and then pop back over and listen to us. Yeah. All day long. All the things. We have plenty to binge on now. That would take up at least two days. Yeah. Maybe three of work. I mean, we're on 24. I know. Okay, we need to let's, we need, let's, we need to let's get into quickly it. get started on the yeah. case. There's a whole thing here. There's a lot of things. Okay, I'm ready. So, okay. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. That reminds me of like getting off the phone with my stepdad. Oh no. <laughs> it it never fails if you talk to him for 5 minutes or 52 minutes. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. When you get off the phone, he says, <laughs> "All right. All right. All right, all right. Bye." Every time. <laughs> Every single time. And I'm like, what's the deal? All right. All right. Maybe he doesn't want to say bye first. I don't know if maybe he's afraid he is forgetting to say something. Or I don't don't know. But it's every single time for as long as I can remember. There's always multiple all rights before you get off the phone. My brothers can vouch for me. I mean, maybe he just doesn't know how to end a conversation. (laughs) I don't know. But me and my mom laugh. (laughs) because <laughs> it's funny that's adorable <laughs> anywho anywho let's talk about john wayne gacy okay okay <laughs> so <laughs> he was an american serial killer and sex offender known as the killer clown who assaulted and murdered at least 33 young men and boys hmm. gacy regularly performed at children's hospitals and charitable events as pogo the clown or patches the clown <laughs> so, like I said, buckle up, bitches. Yeah. John Wayne Gacy was born in Chicago, Illinois on March 17th, 1942. The second child and only son of John Stanley Gacy and Marion Elaine Rob- Robison. Robison. Ro- Ro- yeah. Ro- Robison. So, if you want to go ahead and go over to the notes. Yeah. There is a picture that says parents. Oh, hi, Mom and Dad. And, of course, this was them in their golden years. Oh. But that's them. Mom and Pop. They're cute. Yeah. Mom looks tough. Um, Mom's the bee's knees. Dad is garbage. Oh, okay. Le- let me let me explain. See, I know what he did, but I don't know that much about his background. Well, let me tell you stuff. I'm excited. When I researched, I learned like a couple of things that I didn't know before, but a lot of this I already knew because I have this obsession. Yeah. I've read a bunch of books and watched TV shows and movies and it's fine. Oh my God. (laughs) She's going to have all the good tea, guys. Um, So his father was an auto repair machinist and World War I veteran and his mother was a homemaker. Gacy was of Polish and Danish ancestry, and his family was Catholic. Mm. His paternal grandparents had actually immigrated to the United States from Poland. Hey! My husband's... <laughs> yeah. My husband's paternal great-grandparents immigrated here from Poland. That's so cool. Crazy, right? Yeah. No wonder y'all like them so much. <laughs> 
Gacy was close to his mother and two sisters, but endured a difficult relationship with his father, an alcoholic who was physically abusive to his family. Hmm. His father also belittled him, calling him dumb and stupid and comparing him unfavorably with his sisters. As Gacy grew up, he began to develop an identity crisis, doubting his own masculinity. Shocker. Right? One of Gacy's earliest memories was of his father beating him with a leather belt for accidentally disarranging parts of a car engine that he had assembled. So his dad was working on the car. Gacy mixed up some parts and he got beat with a leather belt. Asshole. His mother tried to shield her son from his father's abuse, which only resulted in accusations that he was a sissy and a mama's boy who would probably grow up queer. So are not my words. Those are his dad's. Despite this abuse, however, Gacy still loved his father, but felt he was never good enough in his father's eyes. That's sad. If you want to go over to the notes, I have a picture of Gacy as a child. Yeah. It says childhood on it. Oh, my God. But you can kind of see his sister, one of his sisters and his mom in the background a little bit. But I couldn't find a whole bunch of pictures of him as a kid. That was the best one. A lot of them were like super dark and you couldn't really tell. He's adorable. I know. He was all cute and normal looking. He's so cute. In 1949, Gacy's father was informed that his son and another boy had been caught sexually fondling a young girl. He was seven years old. I was about to say, how old? His father whipped him with a razor strap as punishment. Oh. The same year, a family friend and contractor would sometimes molest Gacy in his truck. Mm, Not okay. Gacy never told his father about this, afraid that his father would blame him. Probably. Yeah. Gacy was an overweight and unathletic child. Same. (laughs) (laughs) Because of a heart condition, he was told to avoid all sports at school. At age 11, he suffered a blow to the head from a swing. Isn't that what happened to Richard Ramirez? Yeah, exactly. Damn. Kids need to stay off the playground. (laughs) Swings are bad. Drugs are bad. Swings are bad. Stay away. (laughs) Yes. Stay inside. Watch serial killer documentaries. (laughs) To say play with your Nintendos. (laughs) That's how I turned out so good. (laughs) Over the next five years, he had frequent blackouts until doctors found a clot in his brain that was removed with medications. He was hospitalized on occasion because of these episodes. In 1957, he was hospitalized again for a burst appendix. Oh, my God. Gacy later estimated that between the ages of 14 and 18, he had spent almost a year in the hospital and blamed the decline of his grades to missing school all the time, which, duh. Well, I'm sure all that mentally took a toll as well. Yeah. His father suspected these episodes were an effort to gain sympathy and attention and openly accused his son of faking the condition as Gacy lay in a hospital bed. Although his mother, sisters, and a few close friends never doubted his illness, Gacy's medical condition was never conclusively diagnosed. It doesn't matter. He still had one, whether it was mentally or physically. Yeah. Like there was. I mean, there was a reason the doctors were keeping him in the hospital. Right. One of Gacy's friends in high school recalled several instances when his father ridiculed or beat his son without provocation. Mm. On one occasion in 1957, he witnessed Gacy's father emerging drunk from the family basement to begin belittling, then hitting his son for no apparent reason. Gacy's mother attempted to intervene as her son simply put up his hands to defend himself. According to the friend, Gacy never struck his father back during these altercations. Can I just say his Mm. mom is a beast? Hero. 
Yes. There are so many instances you hear of child abuse where the mother just looks the other way because right. she doesn't know what to do. She just pretends like it's not happening. No, but she actually stood up and said, yeah. no, this is she not okay. tried to help her baby. Ugh. In 1960, at age 18, Gacy became involved in politics, working as an assistant precinct captain for a Democratic Party candidate in his neighborhood. Hmm. This led to more criticism from his father, who accused his son of being a patsy. (laughs) Of course. Gacy later speculated his decision to become involved in politics was actually to seek the acceptance from others that he never received from his father. I, I see that. Yeah. The same year Gacy's political involvement began, his father bought him a car. Hmm. He kept the vehicle's title in his own name until Gacy had finished paying it off. Okay. These monthly payments took several years for him to complete. His father would confiscate the keys to the vehicle if Gacy did not do as he said. Oh, my God. In 1962, Gacy purchased an extra set of keys after his father (laughs) confiscated the original set. Okay. In response, his father removed the distributor cap, keeping it for three days. Oh, Gacy recalled he felt totally sick and drained after this incident. Hours after his father replaced the distributor cap, Gacy left home and drove to Las Vegas, Nevada. (laughs) Peace out, bitch. (laughs) He found work within the ambulance service before he was transferred to work as an attendant at Palm Mortuary. As a mortuary attendant, Gacy slept on a cot behind the embalming room. Gross. (laughs) He worked there for three months observing morticians uh, embalming dead bodies. I mean, you got to do what you got to do, right? Yeah, I just don't think I'd want to sleep in there. Mm, I mean, when it's your job, it kind of... I still wouldn't want to sleep in there. It probably smells bad. The embalming room? Yeah, embalming fluid stinks. Nope, that's not okay. No. Gacy later confessed that one evening while alone, he had clambered into the coffin of a deceased teenage male, embracing and caressing the body before experiencing a sense of shock. This prompted Gacy to call his mother the next day and ask whether his father would allow him to return home. His father agreed, and the same day, he drove back to Chicago. He clambered into the coffin? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Can't imagine it was graceful. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good word. (laughs) On returning home, Gacy enrolled at Northwestern Business College, despite having failed to graduate from high school. Hmm. Apparently the rules were different in the 60s. Yeah. He graduated in 1963 and took a management trainee position with the Nunbush Shoe Company. (laughs) (laughs) I read it, but I hadn't said it out loud until now. Uh, y'all know we just went nine-year-old boy on that shit. The Nun Bush Shoe Company. <laughs> okay. All right. I can't imagine why they're not in business anymore. <laughs> In 1964, the shoe company transferred him to Springfield, Illinois, to work as a salesman and eventually promoted him to manager of his department. In March of that year, he became engaged to Marilyn Myers, a co-worker. Mm. During their courtship, Gacy joined the local JCs and worked tirelessly for them, being named key man in April 1964. Had to see what the JCs were. I was just about to ask you, what is that? <laughs> Okay, thank you. They are the United States Junior Chamber, also known as the JCs. 
JCs or JCIUSA. Um, it's a leadership training and civic organization for people between the ages of 18 and 40. So it's sort of like a chamber of commerce type thing, but for younger people. Okay. That same year, he had his second homosexual experience. So the first Mm. one was with a dead body. (laughs) (laughs) Let's see how a live one is. According to Gacy, after one of his colleagues in the Springfield JC's plied him with drinks and invited him to spend the evening on his sofa, he agreed. The colleague then performed oral sex on him while he was drunk. <laughs> By 1965, Gacy had risen to the position of vice president of the Springfield Jaycees. The same year, he was named the third most outstanding Jaycee in the state of Illinois. Well, it sounds like he's got everything going for him. A fiance. What happened? Getting head on the couch. like Right? (laughs) Moving up in his job. Yeah. Succeeding in all areas. Hmm. After um, a six-month courtship, Gacy and Myers married in September 1964. Okay. So if you want to go to the notes and look at the picture that says Gacy wife one. Yeah. That's him with his first wife, Marilyn. And uh, that would be their first child. Oh, the baby. Look at that little alfalfa thing. I oh, know. Oh, my God. It's so cute. They look like a happy little they tiny do. family, don't they, they? They look totally normal, white collar, nothing wrong. Right? Blue collar. Oh, I was looking at his <laughs> collar and I said white. <laughs> Blue. Blue. Blue collar. Blue, Blue. Blue collar family. <laughs> I'm colorblind. <laughs> Not really, but it's fine. (sighs) Just ignore me. I'm not here this episode. Okay. So (laughs) here's where KFC comes in. Okay. (laughs) Marilyn's father purchased three Kentucky Fried Chicken restaurants in Waterloo, Iowa. The couple moved there so Gacy could manage the restaurants with the understanding that they would move into Marilyn's parents' former home, which had been vacated for the couple. The offer was lucrative. Gacy would receive $15,000 per year, which is the equivalent of about $123,900 as of 2021. Hey, that's not bad. Plus a share of the restaurant's profits. Yeah, I'll take it. I'd work at KFC for that. For show. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I quit. For show. I'm getting that for show. (laughs) (laughs) That's from Super Bad. For show. I'm getting that for show. (laughs) It's fine. I'm fine. It's when I started saying for show. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, or we could go the 40 year old virgin way. She was a hoe. For For show. For (laughs) show. (laughs) That's good cinema right there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, um, back to the story. Following the obligatory completion of a management course, Gacy relocated to Waterloo with his wife. He opened a quote-unquote club in his basement where Mm -hmm. his employees could drink alcohol and play pool. Okay. Although Gacy employed teenagers of both sexes at his restaurants, he socialized socialized only with the men. (laughs) (laughs) Gacy gave many of them alcohol before he made sexual advances. If they refused him, he would claim his advances were simply jokes or a test of morals. Sure. Mm-hmm. 
Gacy's wife gave birth to a son in February 1966 and a daughter in March 1967. Gacy later described this period of his life as perfect as he had finally earned his father's approval. When Mm. Gacy's parents visited in July 1966, his father privately apologized for the physical and emotional abuse he had inflicted throughout his son's childhood and said, son, I was wrong about you as he shook Gacy's hand. Hmm. You know, yeah, his dad's a garbage human, but that's kind of a big thing to be able to admit you did something wrong. Yeah, good. Good for him. I know, that's what I'm... Fuck you, Amanda. (laughs) I admitted he was garbage. I still think he's garbage, and nothing can take back what he did, but for a human to realize they're doing something wrong and apologize for it, an old man in 1964, Six? You are absolutely correct about that. That's a big you thing. Are. You are. Still think he's garbage. I still. I don't know. That could make a person go one or two ways. Like either they could be like, "Okay, awesome, that's great. My I finally life is got perfect. it. I finally yeah. got it. My life is complete." Or they could get it and still say the same thing, but then still have that anger, and they're like, "Well, what do I do with it now?" Oh, I'm sure there's still anger. You know, like it doesn't just make all that abuse disappear. You're right. Years and years and years of it. Yeah. So that's why I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, but at least he said it. That's something. It is. In Waterloo, Gacy joined the local JC's chapter there. Good. Regularly offering extended hours to the organization. In addition to the 12 and 14 hour days, he worked managing three KFC restaurants. So, like, when did he sleep? Wow, yeah. Ske- like- Schedule time for sleep. I said I that today. I know somebody that said that today. <laughs> I'm going to have to pencil that into my calendar. <laughs> At meetings, Gacy often provided fried chicken and insisted on being called Colonel. <laughs> hey. He and other Waterloo JCs were also deeply involved in wife swapping, prostitution, pornography, and drug use. So, um, not such an upstanding group. Did his wife participate in this? I don't know. <clears throat> um, seriously doubt it. Yeah, she seems like she's a pretty straight laced. Yeah, and type of by woman. what ends up happening. Yeah. No guy. Okay. I doubt she did, but, um, I was just curious. Yeah. Although Gacy was considered ambitious and something of a brag, the other JCs held him in high regard for his fundraising work and in 1967 named him Outstanding Vice President of the Waterloo JCs. Woohoo! The same year, Gacy served on the Board of Directors. Did they wear stupid hats? I wish I knew the answer to that. Mm. Like a Shriner's hat? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> No offense towards the Shriners. They're amazing. They do great work. (laughs) But the hats. But the hats, though. And the tiny cars. I like the tiny cars. I want to do that. No 65-year-old man needs to be shoved into one of them tiny cars. Especially when his beer belly's hanging out. Over the... (laughs) Resting on the hood. Come on now. (laughs) It's fine. It's fine. I still think they're adorable. They do good work. They do. Okay. In August 1967, Gacy sexually assaulted 15-year-old Donald Voorhees, the son of a fellow J.C. Gacy lured Voorhees to his house upon the promise of showing him heterosexual stag films, porn, mm-hmm. regularly played at J.C. events. 
gays. <laughs> okay. Yeah, because the JCs were um, filthy, nasty, disgusting people. Like we just we we just right. found out. Yeah, and yeah. So now we just want to show they're regularly played. Yeah, okay. it, it's terrible. They're terrible people. Mm-hmm. Gacy plied Voorhees with alcohol, allowed him to watch a stag movie, then persuaded him to engage in mutual oral sex, adding, you have to have sex with a man before you start having sex with women. Well. Didn't know that was the role. (laughs) I'm set. I have questions. (laughs) Over the following months, Gacy similarly abused several other youths including one whom he encouraged to have sex with his own wife before blackmailing him into performing oral sex on him. I don't know if he actually did have sex with the wife. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Okay. Gacy tricked several teenagers into believing he was commissioned to conduct homosexual experiments in the interests of science research and paid them up to $50 each. (laughs) Dude, you're a manager of a KFC. Who is paying Dude. you for this homosexual research? <laughs> okay, Jeffrey Dahmer, he with your $50. Stories. I know. They really got to come up with better stories. I mean, God. I mean. Okay. <laughs> Experiments. Because science. First, it's science. Because science. <laughs> In March 1968, Voorhees reported to his father that Gacy had sexually assaulted him. Voorhees Sr. immediately informed the police who arrested Gacy and subsequently charged him with performing oral sodomy on Voorhees and the attempted assault of 16-year-old Edward Lynch. Time out. What? Oral sodomy? Yeah, like forcing him to perform oral sex. I thought sodomizing was sticking something up somebody's butt. Let's Google. That's why I'm going, huh? Oral sodomy. What is oral sodomy? Forcible oral sodomy is penetration of the mouth of the victim by the mouth or penis of the defendant. Oh. Okay. So sodomy is really just forcing something in a hole. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good to me. All right. Continue. (laughs) Gacy vehemently denied the charges and demanded to take a polygraph test. The results indicated Gacy was nervous when he denied any wrongdoing in relation to both young men, (laughs) of course. Gacy publicly denied any wrongdoing and insisted the charges against him were all politically motivated since Voorhees Sr. had opposed Gacy's nomination for appointment as president of the Iowa Jaycees. It's all political. Right. Always. Several fellow JCs found Gacy's story credible and rallied to his support. However, on May 10th, 1968, Gacy was indicted on the sodomy charge. Sorry, buddy. Yeah. On August 30th, 1968, Gacy persuaded one of his employees, 18-year-old Russell Schroeder, to physically assault Voorhees in an effort to discourage the boy from testifying against him in court. Gacy promised to pay Schroeder $300. Schroeder agreed and in early September lured Voorhees to an isolated country park, sprayed Mace in his eyes, then beat him. Damn. Voorhees escaped and reported the assault to the police, identifying Schroeder as his attacker. They arrested him the following day. While initially denying any involvement, Schroeder soon confessed to assaulting Voorhees, indicating he had done so at Gacy's request. (laughs) Everybody's just tattling. (laughs) Police arrested Gacy and laid an additional charge of hiring Schroeder to assault and intimidate Voorhees against him. Wear a mask, you dumbass. Come on, people. 
On September 12th, Gacy was ordered to undergo a psychiatric evaluation at the Psychiatric Hospital of the University of Iowa. Two doctors examined him over a period of 17 days before concluding he had an antisocial personality disorder. You think? The clinical term for sociopathy and or psychopathy. Okay. And that he was unlikely to benefit from any therapy or medical treatment and that his behavior pattern was likely to bring him into repeated conflict with society. Yeah, so let's just throw our hands up. No, that's not what they were saying. They were saying that he can't be reformed. Right. They're not saying don't do anything about it. They're just saying you can't reform him. Oh, oh, oh. They're not saying just forget about him. They're saying you shouldn't put him back out into society because he can't he's not going to get better. Oh, well, if I had to let you go a little bit further. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the doctors concluded he was mentally competent to stand trial. Okay. <laughs> there we go. I'm going to shut up. Okay. <laughs> On November 7th, 1968, Gacy pleaded guilty to one count of sodomy in relation to Voorhees, but not guilty to the charges related to the other use. If you want to go to the notes, there is a picture that says Mugshot 1968. Yes. That would be the mugshot for this charge in 1968. Oh, isn't he attractive? Look at them jowls. He's got, got jowls. He's got a few. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Uh, aging he's, like fine wine. He's not pretty. No. No, no he's not. No. Mm-mm. No, not poor guy. It wasn't in the cards for him. (laughs) Gacy claimed Voorhees had offered himself to him and that he had acted out of curiosity. His story was not believed. Gacy was convicted of sodomy on December 3rd and sentenced to 10 years imprisonment to be served at the Anamosa State Penitentiary. Oh, I know where that is. Do you? I do. When were you in Illinois? I wasn't. Iowa. But I've been watching Mindhunter. Jesus. (laughs) They go there to interview one of the serial killers. Okay. Okay. I can't. I can't. That same day, Gacy's wife petitioned for divorce, requesting she be awarded the couple's home and property, sole custody of their two children, and alimony. The court ruled in her favor, and the divorce was finalized on September 18th, 1969. Gacy never saw his first wife or his children again. Understandably uh, so. I can't, yeah, I was about to say, I cannot say that I blame her. That's smart move. Yep. yep. During his incarceration in the Anamosa State Penitentiary, Gacy quickly earned a reputation as a model prisoner. Mm. Within months of his arrival, he had risen to the position of head cook. He also joined the inmate J.C. chapter... <laughs> <laughs> because they because have, they have one of those in prison chapter, <laughs> and in listen to this, and increased its membership from fifty to six hundred and fifty <laughs> men in less than eighteen months. Holy shit! He is known to have secured an increase in the inmates' daily pay in the prison mess hall, and to have supervised several projects to improve conditions for inmates in the prison. Hmm. By the summer of nineteen sixty nine. It was the summer of 69. (laughs) Gacy had overseen the installation of a miniature golf course in the prison recreation yard. Well, I don't have a mini golf course. They don't need a mini golf course. Exactly. I can't. Whatever. In June 1969, Gacy was denied parole. Mm. 
To prepare for a second scheduled parole hearing in May 1970, he completed 16 high school courses for which he obtained his diploma in November 1969. Well, good for him. <laughs> in case you you couldn't She's hear doing that, the that was hand. yeah, that, that was the jerk off hand. Yeah. Um, on Christmas Day 1969, Gacy's father died from cirrhosis of the liver. When told the news, Gacy collapsed to the floor sobbing. His request for supervised, compassionate leave to attend the funeral was denied. Aww. No, he's he's garbage. He should have never left. He should be locked in that prison forever. I know. Gacy was granted parole with 12 months probation on June 18th, 1970, after having served 18 months of his 10-year sentence. Mm-hmm. No. Yep. Conditions of his probation included that Gacy relocate to Chicago to live with his mother and that he must observe a 10 p.m. curfew. On his release, Gacy told friend and fellow JC, <laughs> Clarence Lane, who picked Clarence. him. Clarence. <laughs> Gacy told friend and fellow JC, Clarence Lane, um, who picked him up from the prison and had remained solid in his belief of Gacy's innocence. Dumbass. Yeah. That he would never go back to jail and that he intended to reestablish himself in Waterloo. However, within 24 hours of his release, Gacy had relocated to Chicago like he was supposed to. Uh-huh. He arrived there on June 19th and shortly thereafter obtained a job as a short order cook in a restaurant. Okay. If he had already been determined that he would not, could not recover. Mm-hmm. Why did they let him out? Because the courts did not listen to the psychiatrists. Obviously not. They didn't listen to the doctors and they let him out after a year and a half instead of 10 years. So this is um, big mistake number one. So keep count. Tally if you need to. Yeah. On February 12th, 1971, Gacy was charged with sexually assaulting a teenage boy who claimed that he had lured him into his car at Chicago's Greyhound bus terminal and driven him to his home where he had attempted to force the boy into sex. The court dismissed this complaint when the boy failed to appear. Oh, oh. oh my God. On June 22nd, Gacy was arrested and charged with aggravated sexual battery and reckless conduct. The arrest was in response to a complaint filed by a youth who claimed that Gacy had flashed a sheriff's badge, lured him into his car, and forced him to perform oral sex. These charges were dropped after the young man attempted to blackmail Gacy. I have no words. The Iowa Board of Parole did not learn of these incidents, and eight months later, in October 1971, Gacy's parole ended. Are you fucking kidding me? So, I guess because he was in Illinois, mm-hmm. it didn't get to... It didn't make any fucking sense. Mm-mm. But they didn't find out, and his parole ended. The following month, records of Gacy's previous criminal convictions were sealed. Perfect. I Luckily, that system. is not the case now. If yeah. you are ever charged with a sex crime, that shit does not go away. Right. Thank goodness for that. Mm-hmm. But oh my gosh. With financial assistance from his mother, Gacy bought a ranch house near the village of Norwich in Norwood Park Township, an unincorporated area of Cook County, itself a part of metropolitan Chicago. So it's like a suburb of Chicago. But if you want to go look at the notes, there's a picture of Gacy with his mom. Mm-hmm. In his, in his terrible 70s uh, mm-hmm. shirt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The collar. Look at the collar. The collar. 
Dude, nobody wants to see that chest hair. Button that shit up. Uh, nobody wants to see that. Just because it's the style doesn't mean that you should wear it. Uh, uh. Not no. all styles are made for everyone. No, no, no. So um, the address of the home was 8213 West Somerdale Avenue. And that's where he resided until his arrest in December 1978, where, according to Gacy, he committed all his murders. Holy shit. So we're going to dive into the good stuff. But if you want to go to the notes real quick and look at the picture that says home, there is a picture of the house that he purchased. In August 1971, shortly after Gacy and his mother moved into the house, (laughs) he became engaged to Carol Hoff, a divorcee with two young daughters whom he had briefly dated in high school. They were married on July 1st, 1972. So go to the notes and look at the picture that says wife two. Okay. And that would be him and Carol and her two daughters. So Gacy's stepdaughters. Oh, look at her. That little girl does not look happy to be sitting in that man's lap. I just want to say that right now. Not at all. She's not here for it. Either that or she just really hates pictures. (laughs) Take the goddamn picture. Kids feel things. She probably knows that he sucks ass. Literally. (laughs) (laughs) Get out of my brain. Can't help myself. I need a drink. Uh, I'm loving her like blonde hair, frosted lipstick. That look, is a bouffant <laughs> if I've ever seen Damn. one. Damn. Carol got it going on. Yeah, she does. Get it, honey. <laughs> Carol and her daughters moved into Gacy's home soon after the couple announced their engagement. His mother moved out of the house shortly before the wedding. So he wasn't alone in the house at this point. Well, that's good. Yeah. Gacy was active in his local community and helpful towards his neighbors. He willingly loaned his construction tools and plowed snow from neighborhood walks free of charge. Between 1974 and 1978, he hosted annual summer parties, each devoted to a particular theme. These events were attended by up to 400 people, including politicians. (laughs) Did he have porn parties? (laughs) Probably, Amanda. It was probably like a, a drive-in stag film in his backyard. And each party had a different theme. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I can't. Girl on girl, boy on boy. Uh, you know good and damn well there's no girl on girl nothing at Gacy's no, house. No, not at all. By 1975, Gacy had told his wife that he was bisexual. Hmm. After the couple had sex on Mother's Day that year, he informed her this would be the last time they would ever have sex. The fuck? Yeah. No. <laughs> I'd be like, mm, I don't that's know not who a the thing. fuck you think you are. <laughs> <laughs> he began spending most evenings away from home, only to return in the early hours of the morning with the excuse he had been working late. Carol observed Gacy bringing teenage boys into his garage in the early hours and also found gay pornography in men's wallets and identification inside the house. There you go. When she confronted Gacy about who these items belonged to, he informed her angrily that it was none of her business. Go back in the kitchen, woman. Get out of my business. Following a heated argument when she failed to balance a checkbook correctly in October 1975, Carol asked Gacy for a divorce. Yeah. 
I'm glad it didn't take her long. Yeah, she's had enough. Mm -hmm. He agreed to his wife's request, although by mutual consent, she continued to live at the West Somerdale house until February 1976 when she and her daughters moved into their own apartment. So I guess just for financial reasons. Yeah. One month later, on March 2nd, the Gacy's divorce filed upon the grounds of Gacy's infidelity with women was finalized. So I guess she just didn't want to be embarrassed, maybe? I yeah. don't know. Yeah. Because it was the 70s. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Through his membership in a local moose club. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, Clark Griswold. <laughs> it's so Midwestern. <laughs> well. Gacy became aware of a Jolly Joker clown club. <laughs> I can't even say that. <laughs> Became aware of a Jolly Joker clown club. This is when it gets good, y'all. <laughs> whose members regularly performed at fundraising events and parades in addition to voluntarily entertaining hospitalized children. Hmm. So cool for the club, not cool that they let him in. So now he's officially a Shriners. <laughs> no, he's a Jolly Joker, Amanda. <laughs> okay, whatever. <laughs> In late 1975, Gacy joined the Clown Club and created his own clown characters, Pogo the Clown and Patches the Clown, devising his own makeup and costumes. So, I couldn't yeah. find any pictures of Patches, but I have a picture of Pogo. Oh, I kind of like Patches. Um, Patches was not a main character. Obviously. So, there's a picture that says Pogo. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. He is creepy as fuck looking. And, no, you know, I didn't even know that he had another clown persona other than Pogo because yeah. it never like he didn't really use that one as much. Okay, yeah, because I patches is not a common one. Yeah, um, he described Pogo as a happy clown, whereas Patches was a more serious character. Okay, <laughs> maybe that's why Patches wasn't as popular. <laughs> he wasn't invited. <laughs> <laughs> you can't sit with us. Yeah, not today. You're not wearing pink. Mm -mm. Gacy seldom earned money for his performances and later said that acting as a clown allowed him to regress into childhood. Okay. He performed as both Pogo and Patches at numerous local parties, political functions, charitable events, and children's hospitals. Sometimes Gacy would remain in his clowning garb after a performance and briefly drink at a local bar before returning home. <laughs> it's fantastic. <laughs> To see this ginormous dude in a clown costume hanging out of the bar, I can't. You have to go look at the pogo picture. <laughs> Just imagine that. Like you're looking around the bar and you see this. You walk in and you're like, who else here tonight? Oh. oh. <laughs> okay. Right. There's getting, a story there. She's yeah, getting weird tonight. Oh my God. <laughs> Gacy's voluntary public service as a clown throughout the years of his murders led to him being known as the killer clown. Yeah. In 1971, Gacy established a part-time construction business, PDM Contractors. The initials PDM were for painting, decorating, and maintenance. Well, that's clever. Hmm. <laughs> With the approval of his probation officer, Gacy worked evenings on his construction contracts while working as a cook during the day. Initially, he undertook minor uh, repair work, such as sign writing, pouring concrete, and redecorating, but later expanded to include projects such as interior design, remodeling, installation, assembly, and landscaping. Get it, girl. In, mi <laughs> In mid-1973, Gacy quit his job as a cook so he could commit fully to his construction business. Sure. 
By 1975, PDM was expanding rapidly, and Gacy was working up to 16 hours per day. In March 1977, he became a supervisor for PE Systems, a firm specializing in the remodeling of drugstores. Between PE Systems and PDM, Gacy worked on up to four projects simultaneously and frequently traveled to other states. By 1978, PDM's annual revenue was over $200,000. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot. Much of PDM's workforce consisted of high school students and young men, obviously. Mm -hmm. Gacy would often proposition his workers for sex or insist on sexual favors in return for acts such as lending his vehicles, financial assistance, or promotions. Gacy also claimed to own guns, once telling an employee... Quote, do you know how easy it would be to get one of my guns and kill you and how easy it would be to get rid of the body? End quote. Uh, red flag. <laughs> A bit. Uh, I got another job opportunity somewhere. <laughs> not coming back on Monday. These are teenagers. I got to focus on my schoolwork. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Come on. In 1973, Gacy and a teenage employee traveled to Florida to view a property Gacy had purchased. On the first night in Florida, Gacy raped the employee in their hotel room. After returning to Chicago, this employee drove to Gacy's house and beat him in his yard. (laughs) He was still married at this point. Gacy was still married at this point. Um, So he told his wife he had been attacked for refusing to pay him for poor quality painting work. Okay. In May 1975, Gacy hired 15-year-old Anthony Antonucci. Two months later, he went to Antonucci's home, knowing the youth had injured his foot in an accident the previous day. The two drank a bottle of wine, then watched a heterosexual stag film before Gacy wrestled Antonucci to the floor and cuffed his hands behind his back. Holy crap. One cuff was loose, and Antonucci freed his arm while Gacy was out of the room. When Gacy returned, Antonucci, a high school wrestler, pounced upon him. He wrestled Gacy to the floor, obtained possession of the handcuff key, and cuffed Gacy's hands behind his back. Badass! Right? At first, Gacy threatened Antonucci, then calmed down and promised to leave if he would remove the handcuffs. Antonucci agreed, and Gacy left. Antonucci later recalled that Gacy told him, quote, Not only are you the only one who got out of the cuffs, you got them on me. End quote. Oh, that's encouraging. (laughs) It's creepy. Yeah. On July 26th, 1976, Gacy picked up 18-year-old David Cram as he hitchhiked on Elston Avenue. Gacy offered him a job with PDM, and he began work the same evening. On August 21st, Cram moved into his house. Oh, my God. (laughs) The next day, Cram and Gacy had several drinks to celebrate his 19th birthday Mm. with Gacy dressed as Pogo. Oh, fuck. (laughs) Because what 19-year-old doesn't want a creepy clown at their birthday party? Oh, my God. (laughs) Gacy tricked Cram into wearing handcuffs, his wrists cuffed in front of his body rather than behind. He swung Cram around while holding the chain linking the cuffs, then said he intended to rape him. Cram kicked Gacy in the face and freed himself from the handcuffs. A month later, Gacy appeared at Cram's bedroom door. The kid did not move out. Oh, my God. (laughs) Gacy appeared at Cram's bedroom door intending to rape him, saying, (laughs) quote, Dave, you really don't know who I am. Maybe it would be good if you give me what I want. End quote. (laughs) Cram resisted, straddling Gacy, who left the bedroom, stating, you ain't no fun. (laughs) 
Okay. Okay. <laughs> Cram moved out on October 5th. There you go. And left PDM. Good boy. Although he did periodically work for Gacy over the following two years. <laughs> okay. Uh, shortly no. after Cram moved out of Gacy's house, another employee, 18 year old Michael Rossi, moved in. Do these kids not talk Run. to each other? Run, Michael. Run. <laughs> Ross- Apparently not. I know. Rossi had worked for PDM since May 1976. He lived with Gacy until April 1977. Rossi sometimes assisted Gacy in clowning at grand openings of businesses. Gacy is Pogo and Rossi is Patches. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It's a little weird. Yeah. Gacy also entered local Democratic Party politics, initially offering use of his employees to clean party headquarters at no charge. Thanks, boss. Right. He was rewarded for his community service with an appointment to serve on the Norwood Park Township Street Lighting Committee, subsequently earning the title of Precinct Captain. Oh my fucking God. I cannot believe how many roles in the community, in society, that he was given. Yeah. I can't believe how many people, victims included turn are turning a blind eye like i understand everyone who is victimized reacts differently right but like had they come forward like the Voorhees boy came forward maybe things yeah gone further maybe if the stakes talked to each other about parolees this would have never happened like it's insane but get this shit okay (laughs) In 1975, Gacy was appointed director of Chicago's annual Polish Constitution Day Parade, an event he would continue to supervise until 1978. Great. Through his work with the parade, Gacy met and was photographed with First Lady Rosalind Carter on May 6th, 1978. You've got to be fucking kidding me. I have a picture. (laughs) Go to the notes. And it says, with First Lady Carter. God, she's gorgeous. I know. With her little scarf. I and know. her perfectly coiffed hair. Uh-huh. And his smug, smarmy looking... Uh, God. I can't with him. Uh-uh. So, the event later became an embarrassment to the United States Secret Service. In mm-hmm. the pictures, Gacy is wearing an S pen, indicating he is a person given special clearance by Ooh. the Secret Service. Wait, I'm going to go back and look. Yeah, go back and look. He's wearing the pen. Oh, he is. And he was not supposed to have been wearing the pen. Oh. So, we're finna get into the meat and potatoes. Okay. Cracking my knuckles. Yeah. Ready to go. Gacy murdered at least 33 young men and boys and buried 26 of them in the crawl space of his house. Mm. Here's how we did it. (laughs) On several occasions, visitors and family members reported that the house had an unusual stench, Uh which Gacy attributed to mold or rodents. It was a simple one-story ranch house in a middle-class neighborhood that Gacy had outfitted his home with a trap door leading to a crawl space. His victims included people he knew and random individuals lured from Chicago's Greyhound bus station, Bughouse Square, or simply off the streets with the promise of a job with PDM or an offer of a drink or drugs or money for sex. Some victims were grabbed by force. Others conned into believing Gacy, who often carried a sheriff's badge and had spotlights on his car, um, was a policeman. Oh, my God. Yeah. Gacy usually lured his victims to his house, although on more than one occasion, Gacy also had what he called doubles, which is when he had two victims killed in the same evening. God. Oh, my God. (laughs) 
You've got to think, he's kept- just in a few years' time, this man killed 33 uh-huh. people. Uh-huh. It's, it's insane. So, of course, he had to have some doubles. I can't. Maybe even some triples. I just cannot. Mm. Inside Gacy's home, his usual plan was to ply the victim with drink drugs or generally just gain his trust. He would then produce a pair of handcuffs to, quote, show a magic trick, sometimes as part of a clowning routine. He typically cuffed his own hands behind his back, then released himself with the key, which he hid between his fingers. Then he offered to show his intended victim how to release himself from the handcuffs. With his victim cuffed and unable to free himself, Gacy then made a statement to the effect that the trick is you have to have the key. Gacy referred to this act of restraining his victim as the handcuff trick. Having restrained his victim, Gacy proceeded to rape and torture them. He frequently began by sitting on or straddling himself above the victim's chest before forcing the victim to perform oral sex on him. Gacy then inflicted acts of torture, included burning with cigars, making his captive imitate a horse as he sat on their back, and pulled upon makeshift reins around their neck, and violation with foreign objects such as dildos and prescription bottles after he had sodomized his captive. Fuck no. I know. No. To immobilize his captive's legs before engaging in acts of torture, Gacy frequently attached their ankles to a two-by-four with handcuffs attached at each end. Mm -hmm. He is also known to have verbally taunted many of his victims throughout their continued abuse and to have dragged or forced several victims to crawl into his bathroom, where he partly drowned them in the bathtub before repeatedly reviving them, enabling him to continue his prolonged assault. My God, that is a sick motherfucker. There there was like, there wasn't anything he didn't do, really. Right, right. There was a little bit of everything there. In there was nothing off limits. Ugh. So, um, Gacy typically murdered his victims by placing a rope tourniquet around their neck before progressively tightening the rope with a hammer handle. Mm-hmm. He referred to this act as the rope trick, frequently informing his captive this is the last trick. In at least one instance, he had read part of Psalm 23 oh. as he tightened the rope around his victim's neck. You've got to be kidding me. Occasionally, the victim had convulsed for an hour or two before dying, although several victims died by asphyxiation from cloth gags stuffed deep in their throat. Except for his two final victims, all were murdered between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. After death, Gacy usually stored the victim's bodies under his bed for up to 24 hours before burying his victim in the crawl space, where he periodically poured quick lime to hasten the decomposition. Mm -hmm. Some victims' bodies were taken to his garage and embalmed prior to their burial. Great. Right? Gacy's first known murder occurred on January 3rd, 1972. According to uh, Gacy's later account, following a family party on the evening of January 2nd, he decided to drive to the Civic Center in the Loop to view a display of ice sculptures in the early hours of the following morning. He then lured a 16-year-old named Timothy Jack McCoy from Chicago's Greyhound bus terminal into his car. Mm -hmm. I have a picture of Timothy McCoy. Hey, look at his perfect 70s swoopy hair. He's 16. Don't hate him. <laughs> oh. <laughs> he doesn't look 16. <laughs> he's totally 16. But uh, he's got that little Bieber swoop in the front. He does. <laughs> I guess in the 70s, it's not the Bieber swoop. That's just the do. I don't know. If I was younger, I would totally go for that. <laughs> I mean, n- me being n- n- not now. 
Ew. But if I were younger, I would totally go for that. (laughs) (laughs) McCoy was traveling from Michigan to Omaha, Nebraska. Gacy took McCoy on a sightseeing tour of Chicago and then drove him to his home with the promise that he could spend the night and be driven back to the station in time to catch his bus. Prior to McCoy's identification, he was known simply as the Greyhound bus boy. Gacy claimed he woke early the following morning to find McCoy standing in his bedroom doorway with a kitchen knife in his hand. He then jumped from his bed and McCoy raised both arms in a gesture of surrender, tilting the knife upwards and accidentally cutting Gacy's forearm. Gacy twisted the knife from McCoy's wrist, banged his head against the bedroom wall, kicked him against the wardrobe and walked towards him. McCoy then kicked Gacy in the stomach and doubling him over. Gacy then grabbed McCoy shouting, motherfucker, I'll kill you. He then wrestled McCoy to the floor and stabbed him repeatedly in the chest as he straddled him. As McCoy lay dying, Gacy claimed he washed the knife in his bathroom, then went to his kitchen and saw an opened carton of eggs and a slab of unsliced bacon on his kitchen table. McCoy had also set the table for two. He had walked into Gacy's room to wake him while absentmindedly carrying the kitchen knife in his hand. Oh my God. Gacy buried McCoy in his crawl space and later covered his grave with a layer of concrete. In an interview several years after his arrest, Gacy said that immediately after killing McCoy, he felt totally drained, yet noted that as he stabbed McCoy and as he listened to the gurgulations, Mm. Gacy's word, not mine, and gasping for air that he had experienced a mind-numbing orgasm, he added, that's when I realized that death was the ultimate thrill. Oh, my God. So, he... Poor guy. That boy was trying to be sweet. Yeah, and he made him breakfast. Mm -hmm. Oh. He was trying to cook him breakfast for letting him spend the night at his house. I did not know that detail. I didn't either until I started my research. Oh, my God. And it was like, oh, you poor baby. (laughs) You were just trying to be nice to your host. And then you got killed. John Wayne Gacy felt like an ass for that. Um, No, he had an orgasm while stabbing him. Yeah, but maybe later on. No. No, later on he he killed more people. Like 32 more. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Gacy said the second time he committed murder was around January 1974. This victim remains unidentified. Gacy strangled him and then placed the body in his closet before burial. He later stated that bodily fluids leaked from the victim's mouth and nose, staining his carpet. Gross. As a result, Gacy regularly stuffed cloth rags, the victim's own underwear, or socks into the mouths of subsequent victims to prevent this leakage from recurring. Uh, The thought of dead body leakage freaks Mm. me out. (laughs) (laughs) Gross. Yeah. On July 31st, 1975, John Butkovich, (laughs) (laughs) an 18-year-old PDM employee, disappeared. I have a picture of John Butkovich. Okay. That's an unfortunate name for this poor boy. I know, poor guy. Oh, look at him and what is probably his prom outfit. Oh, he's, he He is. He don't even have a real mustache yet. It looks like a baby. He's trying. A little ginger baby. He's trying with the mustache. Yeah. That's just peach fuzz. I know. (laughs) Poor baby. (laughs) He's like one of those guys who asks all his friends, and you see mustache? (laughs) Coming along nicely, huh? (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, John. Sure. Butkovich's car was found parked near the corner of Sheridan and Lawrence with his jacket and wallet inside and the keys still in the ignition. Mm. The day before his disappearance, Butkovich had confronted Gacy over two weeks outstanding back pay. Butkovich's father, a Yugoslav immigrant, called Gacy, who claimed he was happy to help search for his son, but was sorry Butkovich had run away. When questioned by police, Gacy said Butkovich and two friends had arrived at his house demanding the overdue pay, but they had reached a compromise and all three had left. Over the following three years, Butkovich's parents called police more than a 100 times, urging them to investigate Gacy further. Gacy later admitted to encountering Butkovich exiting his car at the corner of West Lawrence Avenue, waving to attract his attention. According to Gacy, Butkovich approached his car, stating, I want to talk to you. Gacy invited him into his car and then invited him back to his home to settle the issue of his overdue wages. At his home, Gacy offered Butkovich a drink, then conned him into allowing his wrist to be cuffed behind his back. Handcuff trick. Mm-hmm. Gacy later confessed to having sat on the kid's chest for a while before he strangled him. Uh-huh. He stored Butkovich's body in his garage, intending to bury the body later in the crawl space. When his wife and stepdaughters returned home, because this is 1975, so they oh still lived God. there. Oh, my God. I totally forgot about mm-hmm. that. Uh-huh. <laughs> when they returned home earlier than expected, Gacy buried Butkovich's body under the concrete floor of the garage in an empty space where he had initially intended to dig a drain. Okay. Yeah, so these first couple of murders, they were still there because she didn't move out until February 1976. Yeah, so the body under the bed mm-hmm. and in the closet. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Ugh. Nasty. Yeah. In addition to being uh, the year his business expanded, Gacy freely admitted 1975 was also when he began to increase the frequency of his excursions for sex with young males. He often referred to these jaunts as cruising. Mm. Gacy committed most of his murders between 1976 and 1978, as he largely lived alone following his divorce. He later referred to these as his cruising years. Okay. Although Gacy remained civic-minded, several neighbors noticed erratic changes in his behavior after his 1976 divorce. This included seeing him keeping company with young males, hearing his car arrive or depart in the early hours of the morning, or seeing lights in his home switch on and off in the early hours. One neighbor later recollected that, for several years, the sounds of muffled, high-pitched screaming, shouting, and crying had repeatedly awakened her and her son in the early morning hours. Why would you not say anything? She identified the sounds as emanating from a house adjacent to theirs on West Somerdale Avenue. Mm Mm-hmm. Call the police. Oh, my God. Ugh. One month after his divorce was finalized, Gacy abducted and murdered 18-year-old Daryl Sampson. He was last seen alive in Chicago on April 6, 1976. Gacy buried him under the dining room with a section of cloth lodged in his throat. Oh, my God. Five weeks later, on the afternoon of May 14th, 15-year-old Randall Reffitt (laughs) disappeared. I guess that's how you say that. Reffitt. Disappeared while walking home from Sin High School. S-E-N-N, Sin? Yeah. Sin. Hours after Gacy abducted Reffitt, 14-year-old Samuel Stapleton vanished as he walked home from his sister's apartment. They were buried together in the crawl space, and investigators believe both victims were murdered the same evening. That was a doubles day. Mm-hmm. 
On June 3rd, Gacy killed a 17-year-old Lakeview teenager named Michael Bonin. He disappeared while traveling from Chicago to Waukegan. Gacy strangled Bonin with a ligature and buried him under the spare bedroom. Oh, my God. <laughs> I know. Pick a room. Yeah, he's got his spread it out. Yeah, I know. Space. Yeah. No, I'm saying like pick a room, any room. Oh, I thought you were like, <laughs> pick a room and stick to it. No, dude. no. <laughs> Behind door number one. <laughs> Ten days later, Gacy murdered a 16-year-old uptown youth named William Carroll and buried him in a common grave in the crawl space. Carroll seems to have been the first of four victims known to have been murdered between June 13th and August 6th in 1976. Jesus. Three were between 16 and 17 years old, and one unidentified murder victim appears to have been an adult. Mm. On August 5th, a 16-year-old Minnesota youth named James Hawkinson is last known to have phoned his family, possibly from Gacy's home. Hawkinson died of suffocation. His body was buried in the crawl space beneath the body of 17-year-old Bensonville youth named Rick Johnston, who was last seen alive on August 6th. Holy shit. He's running out of room, huh? You would think. We'll get to it. (laughs) Gacy is thought to have murdered two further unidentified males between August and October 1976. On October 24th, Gacy abducted and killed teenage friends Kenneth Parker and Michael Marino. The two were last seen outside a restaurant on Clark Street in Chicago. Two days later, a 19-year-old construction worker, William Bundy, disappeared after informing his family he was to attend a party. Bundy died of suffocation. Gacy buried the body beneath his master bedroom. He had apparently worked for Gacy. Oh, my God. He's like all Richard Ramirez. Bam, 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 bam. Yeah. Except he killed more. Way more. Yeah. Between November and December 1976, Gacy murdered a 21-year-old named Francis Alexander. I have a picture of him also. Oh, yay. Oh. He's got a bigger mustache. Doesn't he look like a little sweetie pie? Yeah. He just has this look of being like your friend's younger brother. He just looks like he's happy all the time. I know. Little Francis. I bet he had chubby cheeks when he was a kid. Oh. His last contact with his family was a phone call to his mother made sometime in November Alexander was buried in the crawl space directly beneath the room Gacy used as his office. I know, it's so much. In December 1976, another PDM employee, 17-year-old Gregory Godzik, disappeared. His girlfriend last saw him outside her house after he had driven her home following a date. Godzik had worked for PDM for only three weeks before he disappeared. Damn. He had informed his family that Gacy had had him dig trenches of some kind in his crawl space. Godzik's car was later found abandoned in Niles. His parents and older sister Eugenia contacted Gacy about Godzik's disappearance. Gacy claimed that he had run away from home, having Uh indicated before that he wished to do so. Gacy also claimed to have received an answering machine message from Godzik shortly after he disappeared. When asked if he could play back the message to God's parents, Gacy said he had erased it. Like, like a surveillance like no, tape at a gas station. Nobody started <laughs> looking at him by this time that all of the PDM employees were just Wait a disappearing. Minute. Wait a minute. This outstanding pillar of the community. True. Pogo the Clown. True. He met the first lady. Yeah. Why would they look at him? It's not like he's an opportunistic charlatan. <laughs> That is such a good phrase. I know. <laughs> I used it in a sentence. It's so great. 
on January 20th, 1977, Gacy Lord, 19-year-old John Sick. I think that's how you say that. I think so. That looks right. S-Z-Y-C. Yeah. Sick. Um, to his house on the pretext of buying his Plymouth satellite. He <laughs> later... He la- <laughs> you want to come see my satellite? <laughs> it's probably a car. It's a Plymouth. I know. <laughs> Just- Hold on. Let's Google real fast. <laughs> well, it's a Plymouth. It- I need to see what it looks like now. Okay. Plymouth satellite. <laughs> I'm still sticking with you. Want to come see my satellite? Okay, I can fucks with it. Hold on. Oh. Okay. Ooh, oh, in black. Yeah. Okay. We're posting that. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. You want to post the black one? Yeah. Fuck yeah. That's the best one. I like that black one. <laughs> All right. All right. We'll share that with y'all. Yeah. If anybody wants to buy me a belated birthday present, I'll take a 1965 Plymouth satellite in black. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Make that too. <laughs> he later confessed to strangling sick in his spare bedroom, claiming Rossi was asleep in the house. So that's when that other employee was living with him. Gacy later sold the car to Rossi for $300. So, he sold six car to Rossi for 300 bucks. Oh Two months later, on March 15th, a 20 year old Michigan native named John Prestige, Prestige, mm-hmm. Prestige, Prestige, mm-hmm. Prestige Worldwide, Wide, Wide. <laughs> <laughs> I love that movie. She did it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Prestige was last seen leaving a near north side, near north side restaurant. I think okay. that's the town name, near north side. Mm. Okay. It just looks odd. Yeah. He was buried in the crawl space above the body of Francis Alexander. Shortly before his disappearance, uh, Prestige had men. Mincent, <laughs> Prestige had mincent. He had obtained work with a local contractor. <laughs> it's so much words today oh my gosh <laughs> it is what it is gacy murdered one additional unidentified youth and buried him in the crawl space in the spring or early summer of 1977 the exact time of this murder is unknown mm. on july 5th gacy killed a 19 year old from crystal lake matthew <gasps> bowman what crystal Oh, like Jason. Oh, my God. (laughs) 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 I do not sound like a crow. Fuck you. (laughs) That's just where my brain went. (laughs) 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 Okay. Bowman's mother last saw him at a suburban train station. He had intended to travel to Harwood Heights for a scheduled court appointment regarding an unpaid parking ticket. The following month, Rossi was arrested for stealing gasoline while driving six car. (laughs) (laughs) This is just a clusterfuck over here. I'm just saying. (laughs) The gas station attendant noted the license plate and police traced the car to Gacy's house. When questioned, Gacy told officers that Sick had sold the car to him in February, saying he needed money to leave town. 
A check of the VIN confirmed the car had belonged to Sick. The police did not pursue the matter further, although they did inform Sick's mother that her son had sold his car. Another point where everything could have been stopped. Yeah. With just a little bit of police work. Yeah, let's try that again, boys. It's exhausting. A little bit. Police in the olden days. Exhausting. Because then he... Fuck. Yeah. By the end of 1977, it is known Gacy had murdered six more young men Mm -hmm. between the ages of 16 and 21. The first of these victims was 18-year-old Robert Gilroy, the son of a Chicago police sergeant, last seen alive on September 15th. He gives no fucks. No. None whatsoever. Gilroy lived just four blocks from Gacy's house. He was murdered and buried in the crawl space. On September 12th, Gacy had flown to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where my husband's family's from. To supervise a remodeling project and did not return to Chicago until September 16th. Because Gacy is known to have been in another state at the time Gilroy was last seen, this is cited to support Gacy's claim of assistance from one or more accomplices in several homicides. So at one point um, after he was caught, Gacy tried to say that he had people helping him and he did not. Yeah. He did this shit all by himself. Yeah, I've, I've, I've <clears throat> seen that mm-hmm. recording. Ten days after Gilroy was last seen, 19-year-old former U.S. Marine John Mowry disappeared after leaving his mother's house to walk uh, to his apartment. Gacy strangled Mowry and buried his body beneath the master bedroom. How? Well, that's two in the master bedroom now. How tough and agile must Gacy's big old body be to get a 19-year-old former Marine? He He was able to subdue a 19-year-old former Marine. I just determination. That's crazy. That's crazy to me. Yeah. On October 17th, 21 year old Minnesota native Russell Nelson disappeared. He was last seen outside a Chicago bar. Nelson was looking for contracting work. Gacy murdered him and buried him beneath the guest room. Hmm. Less than four weeks later, Gacy murdered a 16 year old Kalamazoo teenager named Robert Winch and buried him in the crawl space. On November 18th, 20-year-old father of one, Tommy Bowling, disappeared after leaving a Chicago bar. Three weeks after the murder of Tommy Bowling, on December 9th, a 19-year-old U.S. Marine, another Marine, David Talsma, disappeared after informing his mother he was to attend a rock concert in Hammond, Indiana. Hammond, Indiana. (laughs) Hammond, Indiana. That was my newscaster voice. (laughs) Gacy strangled Talsma with a ligature and buried him in the crawl space close to the body of John Mowry. On December 30th, Gacy abducted 19-year-old student Robert Donnelly from a Chicago bus stop at gunpoint. Gacy drove him to his home where he raped, tortured, and repeatedly dunked Donnelly's head into a bathtub until he passed out. So just forget luring them back now. Mm-mm. Just fuck it. You're coming got, with me. We ain't got time for that shit no more. Ugh. Gacy taunted him with statements such as, aren't we playing fun games tonight? No. Donnelly later testified at Gacy's trial. Yeah, keep listening. Wait. (laughs) Donnelly later testified at Gacy's trial that he was in such pain that he asked Gacy to kill him. Gacy replied, I'm getting around to it. After several hours, Gacy drove Donnelly to his workplace and released him, warning him that if he complained to police, they would not believe him. Donnelly reported the assault and police questioned Gacy on January 6th, 1978. Gacy admitted to having had a slave sex relationship with Donnelly, 
but insisted everything was consensual, adding that he didn't pay the kid the money that he had promised him. The police believed him and filed no charges. Oh, my God. The following month, Gacy killed 19-year-old William Kindred, Mm. who disappeared on February 16th after telling his fiancée, who knew Gacy, that he was to spend the evening in a bar. Kindred was the final victim Gacy buried in his crawl space. I wonder why he let that other one go, though. I don't know, unless it was because he had asked for death, maybe? I I don't I know. know. But how stupid is that? And how stupid are the police? Yeah. Come I mean, on, what guys. in the actual fuck? I can't. Uh, but, um. They don't know shit about fuck. Right? Hmm. I don't know if you, um picked up on that last comment that that was the final victim buried in the crawl space. Right. Yeah. I have a feeling there's more. (laughs) (laughs) On March 21st, Gacy lured 26 year old Jeff Jeffrey Rignall into his car. Shortly after Rignall entered the car, Gacy chloroformed him. That's the first time for chloroform. Okay. And drove him to his house where his arms and head were restrained in a device affixed to the ceiling and his feet locked into another device. Gacy explained to Rignall he had complete control over him and that he intended to do whatever he wanted to him, when he wanted and how he wanted. Oh, he, my God. I know. Wait, to the ceiling? Mm-hmm. Ew, you did another case where that, oh, that Mexican dude. Oh, in the, the abdu- girls in the abduction one, yeah. uh, Ariel Castro. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I know it's awful. God. He then raped and tortured Rignall with various instruments, including uh. lit candles and whips, <gasps> and repeatedly chloroformed him into unconsciousness. Gacy then drove Rignall to Chicago's Lincoln Park, where he was dumped unconscious but alive. Oh my God, he did it again. I know. Rignall managed to stagger to his girlfriend's apartment. Police were informed of the assault, but did not investigate Gacy. Oh, my. I know. Rignall was able to recall through the haze of that night, the Oldsmobile, the Kennedy Expressway, and particular side streets. Good job. He and two friends staked out the Cumberland exit of the Expressway, and in April, Rignall saw the Oldsmobile, which he and his friends followed, to 8213 West Somerdale. Hero! Yes. Wow. Police obtained an arrest warrant, and Gacy was arrested on July 15th. Yeah. He faced trial for battery against Rignall. Not kidnapping, battery. not sexual assault. <sighs> battery. Okay. In 1978, the crawl space had no room for further bodies. Yeah. Gacy later... Ew. Gacy later confessed to police that he considered stowing bodies in his attic initially, but had been worried about the complications arising from leakage. Yeah, like his closet. Therefore, he chose to dispose of his victims off the I-55 bridge into the Des Plaines River. Oh, good. Gacy stated he had thrown five bodies into this river in 1978, one of which he believed had landed on a passing barge. Only four bodies were ever found. Oops. Oopsie daisy. He's dead. (laughs) (laughs) Manders. Well, that one didn't work out. (laughs) Next. That poor, poor dead man. Oh, my God. 
Yeah, but if there had been a body found on a barge, don't you think that it would have been... I was going to say investigated. No, no, never mind. Not by these police. No. Uh, oh, he'd probably just jumped. He was a jumper. Would you like a little um funny side note? Yes. Okay. So, the first time that Stephen and I realized that we were really cool people. <laughs> Which was immediately... <laughs> No, it was not immediately. Oh, well, I know that. I'm cool. <laughs> no, but for cereal. Back okay. in the day, we had only, um, we had met each other and maybe it had only been around each other a couple of times. We had mutual friends and, uh, we were at a friend's house and we were all sitting out on the front porch and we were smoking a lot of pot. Yeah. And, uh, I've always had a passion for serial killers. Yes. And apparently so has Steven. But we didn't know that about each other because, you know, we barely knew each other's names. Yeah. So we're all high sitting on the porch and Steven starts talking because uh back in the day when he would get really high, you know, he would just like go on these tangents, rants this or whatever. Does. He likes to philosoph- philosophize. <laughs> whatever that word is. But he was telling, he was talking about John Wayne Gacy. And I had heard about him, but I didn't know the full extent of it. But he said the only, his comment was the only reason the guy got caught is because he ran out of room in his basement. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, what? And everybody is like, I am engaged in what he is saying. Like, I am, I've got that hyper weed focus, you know, (laughs) I'm engaged on what he's saying. And everybody else around us is just like, what the fuck is going on right now? But you know, he's talking about it and then I will, I will never forget this. Steven's on the porch reenacting Gacy in his basement. And so he looks like he's shoveling and he goes, oop, there's a body. Oop, there's a body. Oop, there's a body. I have nowhere to put this. Y'all, I died. And because I died laughing, he realized I was really listening to what he was saying and found it funny. And that's when he realized that was it, that I'm a bad bitch. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Hell yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was my funny side story. He's like, are you going to tell people that story? And I was like, yes. I mean, really, if you think about it. Y'all already know my might... brain's fucked up. Now you know how my husband puts up with me. So Somebody's got to. <laughs> but for the longest time, that was a joke with us. Oop, there's a body. Oop, Oop there's a body. I have nowhere to put this. what if it did really go that way though (laughs) with like that uh cartoon or old-timey movie music in the background (laughs) (laughs) like him going like in fast forward super fast to the music trying to shovel in his basement putting his hand over his head like the little caption coming up. Oh no! Oh, there's no. no room. I have nowhere to put this. <laughs> so that happened. Oh god! Welcome to my life. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. The moment you two bonded. Yep. Over John Wayne Gacy. Mm-hmm. Oh, you guys! This is so sweet. <laughs> Oh, cute. There's so much romance in my life. <laughs> I'm here for it. <laughs> okay, let's see. <laughs> Where was I? I don't know. <laughs> All right. Uh, 
The first known victim thrown from the I-55 bridge into the Des Plaines River was 20-year-old Tomothy... Tomothy? <laughs> Words, names, it's all hard. I, actually, I think you've been doing really well with the pronunciations. <laughs> Until I got to Tomothy. <laughs> you got to Tomothy. <laughs> okay. Timothy O'Rourke. There you go. He was murdered in mid-June after leaving his Dover Street apartment to purchase cigarettes. Shortly before his disappearance, O'Rourke had told his roommate a contractor on the northwest side had offered him a job. Hmm. On November 4th, Gacy killed 19-year-old Frank Landigan. His naked body was found in the Des Plaines River in Shanahan, Shanahan, Shamalamalam, Shamalan. <laughs> <laughs> on November 12th. Nailed it. Yeah. One of those nailed it. On November Definitely 12th. not Shyamalan, though. <laughs> it wasn't Shyamalan. No. Oh, what the twist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Robot Chicken. Did you ever watch Robot Chicken? Oh, what the twist. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yep. On November 24th, a 20-year-old Elmwood Park resident, James Mazzara, disappeared after sharing Thanksgiving dinner with his family. Mm. Mazzara had informed his sister the day prior to his disappearance that he was working in the construction industry and doing all right. Mm. He was last seen alive, walking in the direction of Bughouse Square, carrying a suitcase. What? What? I think it's like a town square, Bughouse Square. No, I'm saying like carrying a suitcase. Where where are you going? Oh, if he was, I don't know. Maybe he was visiting his family for Thanksgiving dinner and had spent the night or something. So this construction industry that you speak of, could it have been Pedian? Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. On the afternoon of December 11th, 1978, Gacy visited the Nissan Pharmacy in Des Plaines to discuss a potential ro- remodeling, <laughs> remodeling deal with the store owner, Phil Torf. That's <laughs> what so it says. Torf. Okay. <laughs> Sounds like a cartoon character. It does. <laughs> While he was within earshot of 15-year-old part-time employee Robert Peast, Gacy mentioned his firm often hired teenage boys at a starting wage of $5 per hour, almost double the pay Peast earned at the pharmacy. Right. So if you want to go to the notes, I have a picture of Robert Peast. Yeah. Oh, he's cute, too. I can't see his entire outfit, but I'm pretty sure it's groovy. Totally. (laughs) He's got the... Is that... Man, all these boys no. have uh they got good hair i love the 70s swoopy mm-hmm. they got good hair it's it's hot <laughs> i like it i'm digging it not so much now but like <laughs> you see a guy like that now and you're like mm, what's wrong with him are you in between growing it out or what are you doing <laughs> are you in your awkward phase <laughs> he's trying to get the man bun oh my I don't have a thing against a man bun. Really. I don't either. Not at all. My friend Delina, her little boy, used to have long hair. She has a son the same age as my son. And he had long hair. Yeah. And she'd put it up in a little man bun. And it was the cutest thing ever. Oh, my God. Ashton's w- never... He had long hair at one point, but not long enough for a man bun. Her little boy. He's so Y'all, cute. he told me I was 11. <laughs> <laughs> He Amanda was on top pretty. of the world that day. He said I was pretty and I was 11. <laughs> like, 
Yes. <laughs> did we just become best friends? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did. <laughs> Okay, so shortly after Gacy left the pharmacy, Peast's mother arrived at the store to drive her son home so the family could celebrate her birthday together. Peast asked his mother to wait, adding that some contractor wants to talk to him about a job. He left the store at 9 p.m., promising to return shortly. Peast was murdered shortly after 10 p.m. at Gacy's home. Gacy later stated that at his house, he asked Peast, whether there was anything he wouldn't do for the right price. Oh, Jesus. To which Peace replied that he did not mind working hard. Yeah. Sweet 15-year-old boy. He had no idea. Yeah. In response, Gacy stated, good money could be earned by hustling, although Peace was dismissive. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Gacy then duped Peace into donning the handcuffs before saying, I'm going to rape you and you can't do anything about it, as Peace was weeping. Oh, God. He also stated that as he placed the rope around Peace's neck, the boy was crying and scared. Gacy admitted to having received a phone call from a business acquaintance as Peace lay dying, suffocating on his bedroom floor. Oh, my God. God. When Peace failed to return, his family filed a missing person report with the Desplaines police. Desplaines police. (laughs) I always want to say Desplaines. Yeah. And I guess that's because we live in Louisiana and we don't pronounce S's a lot right, of times. Right. But in everything I've ever watched, it's displains and that hurts my ears for some reason. Very badly. <sighs> I, can't, I can't look at it and hear it at the same time. I know. It just doesn't. It, no. It doesn't work. Torf named Gacy as the contractor. Peace had most likely left the store to talk to about a job. Yeah. Lieutenant Joseph Kozensack. <laughs> <laughs> Cozy sack. Cozy sack. <laughs> Cozy sack. <laughs> whose son attended Maine West High School like Peace, chose to investigate Gacy further. Good. Yes, finally. Yeah. Having spoken with Peace's mother on the morning of December 12th, Cozy sack became convinced Peace had not run away from home. A routine check of Gacy's criminal background revealed that he had an outstanding battery charge against him in Chicago and had served a prison sentence in Iowa for the sodomy of a 15-year-old boy. Mm-hmm. Kozensack and two Desplaines police officers visited Gacy at his home the following evening. Gacy indicated he had seen two youths working at the pharmacy and that he had asked one of them who he believed was pieced whether there were any remodeling materials behind the store. He was adamant, however, that he had not offered Peace a job and had only returned to the pharmacy shortly after 8 p.m. as he had left his appointment book at the store. Gacy promised to come to the station later that evening to make a statement confirming this, indicating he was unable to do so at the moment as his uncle had just died. Okay. (laughs) I know. When questioned as to how soon he could come to the police station, he responded, quote, you guys are very rude. Don't you have any respect for the dead? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) They do, but I'm not sure. you. Well, no, he didn't do anything after they were dead, so. I guess he has respect. He got him dead in the first place. <laughs> he covered them in 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 lime. Uh, yeah. No. At three twenty AM Gacy arrived at the police station covered in mud, claiming he had been in an, involved in a car accident. 
Okay. (laughs) (laughs) On returning to the police station later that day, Gacy denied any involvement in Peace's disappearance and repeated that he had not offered him a job. When asked why he had returned to the pharmacy, Gacy reiterated that he had done so in response to a phone call from Torf informing him he had left his appointment book at the store. Detectives had already spoken with Torf, who denied calling Gacy. At the request of detectives, Gacy prepared a written statement detailing his movements on December 11th. Mm. Suspecting Gacy might be holding peace against his will at his home, Desplaines police obtained a warrant to search Gacy's house on December 13th. Yeah. This search of Gacy's property revealed several suspicious items, including several police badges and a six millimeter brevatata. <laughs> brevatata. Okay. That's what that looks like. Brevatata. Yeah, I'm just not familiar It's kind of cool to say. It, you should try it. Brevitata. 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 <laughs> okay, it okay. is kind of fun. And a six millimeter brevitata starter <laughs> pistol inside an office drawer and a syringe and hypodermic needle inside a cabinet in Gacy's bathroom. Okay. Investigators also found handcuffs, hmm. books on homosexuality, seven pornographic films, capsules of amyl nitrate, and... Ooh. An 18-inch dildo in Gacy's bedroom. (gasps) What the actual? (laughs) Whoa, buddy. Moving right along. Yeah. A 39-inch 2x4 with two holes drilled into each end, bottles Mm -hmm. of Valium and atropine Mm -hmm. and several driver's licenses were found in the northwest bedroom Mm -hmm. a blue hooded parka was found atop a toolbox inside the laundry room and underwear too small to fit gacy was located inside a bathroom closet in the northwest bedroom investigators found a class of 1975 main west high school uh ring engraved with the initials jas Investigators also recovered a Nissan Pharmacy photo receipt from a trash can alongside a 36-inch section of nylon rope. Shit. That's very incriminating. A little bit. The Displays police confiscated Gacy's Oldsmobile and other PDM work vehicles. Police assigned two two two-man surveillance teams to monitor Gacy on a rotational 12-hour basis as they continued their investigation into his background and potential involvement in peace disappearance. Yes. The surveillance teams consisted of officers Mike Albrecht and Dave Hockmeister and Ronald Robinson and Robert Schultz. Nice. The following day, investigators received a phone call from Michael Rossi. Remember, that was one of the guys that lived with him. Who informed the investigators of Gregory Godzik's disappearance and the fact that another PDM employee, Charles Hatula, had been found drowned in an Illinois river earlier that year. On December 15th, Displains investigators obtained further details of Gacy's battery charge, learning Jeffrey Rignall had reported that Gacy had lured him into his car, then chloroformed, raped, and tortured him before dumping him with severe chest and facial burns and rectal bleeding in Lincoln Park the following morning. In an interview with Gacy's former wife that same day, they learned of the disappearance of John Butkovich. That was the very first yeah. boy. The same day, the Maine West High School ring was traced to John Allen Sick. An interview with Sick's mother revealed that several items from her son's apartment were also missing, including a Motorola TV set. So it's all mounting. If they had just, I know, if they had just <laughs> this could have all been remedied. To Rossi. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. 
By December 16th, Gacy was becoming affable with the surveillance detectives, regularly inviting them to join him for meals in the restaurants and occasionally for drinks in bars or at his home. He repeatedly denied that he had anything to do with Peace's disappearance and accused the officers of harassing him because of his political connections or because of his recreational drug use. I roll. Right. Knowing these officers were unlikely to arrest him on anything trivial, he taunted them by flouting traffic laws and succeeded in losing his pursuers more than once. God. That afternoon, Cram, which is the other guy that lived with him, yeah, consented to a police interview in which he described Gacy's hardworking lifestyle and open-minded attitude regarding sex between men. Cram also revealed that because of his poor timekeeping, Gacy had once given him a watch explaining he got it from a dead person. Oh my God. <laughs> Inve- Ew. I know. I, how could you accept it? I just, no. I Investigators conducted a formal interview of Rossi on December 17th. He informed them Gacy had sold six vehicle to him, explaining that he had bought the car from sick because he needed money to move to California. A further examination of Gacy's Oldsmobile was conducted on this date. In the course of examining the trunk of the car, investigators discovered a small cluster of fibers, which may have been human hair. <laughs> that evening, officers conducted a test using three trained German Shepherd search dogs to determine whether Peast had been present in any of Gacy's vehicles. One dog approached Gacy's Oldsmobile and lay on the passenger seat in what the dog's handler informed investigators was a death reaction, mm-hmm. indicating Peast's body had been present in the vehicle. Yeah. That evening, Gacy invited Detectives Albrecht and Hockmeister <laughs> to, <laughs> that's awful, to a restaurant for a meal. In the early hours of December 18th, he invited them into another restaurant where, over breakfast, he talked of his business, his marriages, and his activities as a registered clown. <laughs> At, <laughs> I know. Like, who, who the fuck cares? Nobody. At one point during the conversation, Gacy remarked, quote, you know, clowns can get away with murder, end quote. He said that to the detectives. Oh, my God. He's ridiculous. Well, I mean, he'd gotten away with it for that long. I know. On December 18th, Gacy was beginning to show signs of strain from the constant surveillance. Yeah. He was unshaven, looked tired, appeared anxious, and was drinking heavily. That afternoon, he drove to his lawyer's office to prepare a $750,000 civil suit against the Displains police, demanding that they cease their surveillance. The same day, the serial number of the Nissan Pharmacy photo receipt found in Gacy's kitchen was traced to 17-year-old Kimberly Byers, a colleague of Peace at Nissan Pharmacy. Mm. Byers admitted when contacted in person that following day that she had worn the jacket on December 11th to shield herself from the cold. Peace let her wear his jacket. She had placed the receipt in the parka pocket just before she gave the coat back to Peace as he left the store, claiming a contractor wanted to speak with him. This statement contradicted Gacy's previous statements that he had had no contact with Robert Peast on the evening of December 11th. Go, Kimberly. The same evening, Rossi was interviewed a second time. This time, he was more cooperative. He informed detectives that in the summer of 1977, at Gacy's behest, he had spread 10 bags of lime in the crawl space of Gacy's house. Holy shit. Mm Mm-hmm. On December 19th, investigators began compiling evidence for a second search warrant for Gacy's house. The same day, Gacy's lawyers filed the civil suit against the Displains police. The hearing for the suit was scheduled for December 22nd. That afternoon, Gacy invited the surveillance detectives inside his house again. 
As Officer Robinson distracted Gacy with conversation, Officer Schultz walked into Gacy's bedroom in an unsuccessful attempt to write down the serial number of the Motorola TV that they suspected belonged to John Sick. Damn it. While flushing Gacy's toilet, the officer noticed a smell he suspected could be that of rotting corpses emanating from a heating duct. Oh. Ew. Uh. <laughs> the officers who had searched Gacy's house previously had failed to notice this as the house had been cold. Ew. Yeah. Investigators interviewed both Cram and Rossi on December 20th. Rossi had agreed to be interviewed in relation to his possible links with John Sick, as well as the disappearance of Robert Peast. When questioned by Kozensack as to where he believed Gacy had concealed Peast's body, Rossi replied Gacy may have placed the body in the crawl space, adding that he thought Sick's car was stolen. Rossi agreed to submit to a polygraph test. He denied any involvement in Peast's disappearance, also denying any knowledge of his whereabouts. He soon refused to continue the questioning, and Rossi's erratic and inconsistent responses to questions while attached to the polygraph machine rendered Kozensack unable to render a definite opinion as to the truthfulness of his answers. Those don't even... They're not worth shit anyway. That's true. If cops are questioning you, you're going to be nervous whether you did anything or not. Right. And plus, he was a victim. Yeah. So... They're stupid. Rossi did, however, further discuss the trench digging he did in the crawl space and remarked on Gacy's insistence that he not deviate from where he was instructed to dig. Oops, there's a body. Oops. Cram mm-hmm. mm-hmm. informed investigators of Gacy's attempts to rape him in 1976. He stated that after he and Gacy had returned to his home after the December 13th search of the property, Gacy had turned pale after seeing a clot of mud on his carpet, which he suspected had come from the crawl space. <gasps> Cram said Gacy had grabbed a flashlight and immediately entered the crawl space to look for evidence of digging. When asked whether he had been to the crawl space, Cram replied he had once been asked by Gacy to spread lime down there and had also dug trenches, with which Gacy had explained were for drainage pipes. Cram stated these trenches were two feet wide, six feet long, and two feet deep, uh-huh. the size of graves. Yeah. On the evening of December 20th, Gacy drove to his lawyer's office in Park Ridge to attend a scheduled meeting to discuss the progress of his civil suit. On his arrival, Gacy apprehended Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) On his arrival, Gacy appeared disheveled and immediately asked for an alcoholic drink, whereupon Sam Amarante fetched a bottle of whiskey from his car. On his return, Amarante asked Gacy uh, what he had to discuss with them. Gacy picked up a copy of the Daily Herald from Amarante's desk, pointed to a front page article covering the disappearance of Robert Peast and said, quote, this boy is dead. He's dead. He's in a river. End quote. (laughs) Oh, my God. So there's that. (laughs) Okay. Gacy then proceeded to give a rambling confession that ran into the early hours of the following morning. He began informing Amarante and Stevens that he had been the judge, jury, and executioner of many, many people, and that he now wanted to be the same for himself. He said he buried most of his victims in the crawl space and had disposed of five other bodies in the Displains River. Gacy dismissed his victims as male prostitutes, hustlers, and liars to whom he gave the rope trick adding he sometimes awoke to find dead strangled kids on his floor with their hands cuffed behind their back. He had buried their bodies in his crawl space as he believed they were his property. <laughs> so you just wake up Wait. with dead strangled kids on your floor? Get the fuck when out of here. When that happens more than once? Uh, Maybe okay. you should tell somebody. Yeah. Something's not right. 
Oh my God. Yeah, that doesn't make it sound any better, bruh. No. As a result of the alcohol he had consumed, Gacy fell asleep midway through his confession. (laughs) (laughs) It was all the whiskey. (laughs) Mr. Gacy. (laughs) Well, 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 here's what happened when he fell asleep. (laughs) <laughs> Amarante immediately arranged a psychiatric appointment for Gacy at 9 a.m. that morning. Yeah. <laughs> On awakening several hours later, Gacy shook his head when informed by Amarante that he had confessed to killing approximately 30 people, saying, <laughs> quote, well, I can't think about this right now. I've got things to do, end quote. <laughs> <laughs> not, well, right. not no, there's no way. <laughs> I can't think about that right now. Ignoring his lawyer's advice regarding his scheduled appointment, Gacy left their office to attend to the needs of his business. They let Dude, it's time to take a sick day. (laughs) It's attorney-client privilege. I know. They can't say anything. I think I would have tried the handcuff trick on him and got him to the fucking uh, psychiatrist, though. God. Gacy later uh, recollected his memories of his final day of freedom as being hazy, adding he knew his arrest was inevitable and that he intended to visit his friends and say his final farewells. Mm. After leaving his lawyer's office, Gacy drove to a gas station where, in the course of filling his rental car, he handed a small bag of cannabis to the attendant who immediately handed the bag to the surveillance officers. <laughs> Adding that Gacy had told him, the end is coming for me. These guys are going to kill me. Gacy then drove to the home of a fellow contractor friend, Ronald Road. Gacy hugged Road before bursting into tears, saying, I've been a bad boy. I killed 30 people, give or take a few. Gacy left Road and drove to Cram's home to meet with Cram and Rossi. Can you imagine Ronald being like, uh, okay. Like just patting him on the back. Okay, buddy. buddy. I think you need a nap. (laughs) (laughs) But then he goes to Cram and Rossi's home. What the fuck? Oh, yeah. Those are the guys that used to live with him. No, yeah. I mean, I know who they are, but I forgot. (laughs) Yeah. So now he goes over there. As he drove along the expressway, the surveillance officers noted he was holding a rosary to his chin, to his chin, praying while he drove. Okay. After talking with Cram and Rossi, Gacy had Cram drive him to a scheduled meeting with lawyer Leroy Stevens. What the fuck? I don't know. Wait, what? As Gacy spoke with him, Cram informed the surveillance officers that Gacy had told him and Rossi that he had confessed to over 30 murders with his lawyers the previous evening. Gacy then had Cram drive him to Mary Hill Cemetery where his father was buried. As Gacy drove to various locations that morning, police outlined the formal draft of their second search warrant, specifically to search for the body of Robert Peast in the crawl space. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah. <laughs> On hearing Surprise. From, yeah. On hearing from the surveillance detectives that, in light of his erratic behavior, Gacy might be about to commit suicide, Police decided to arrest him on a charge of possession and distribution of cannabis in order to hold him in custody as the formal request for a second search warrant was presented. Good. Yeah, that was quick thinking. Mm-hmm. At 4.30 p.m. on December 21st, the eve of the hearing of Gacy's civil suit, because he's still trying to sue mm-hmm. the police. Mm-hmm. Judge harassment. Yeah. <laughs> Judge Marvin J. Peters granted the request for a second search warrant. Good. 
After police informed Gacy of their intentions to search his crawl space for the body of Peast, Gacy denied the teenager was buried there, but confessed to having killed a young man in self-defense and whose body was buried under his garage. Okay. (sighs) No, but... Yeah. (laughs) Armed with the signed search warrant, police and evidence technicians drove to Gacy's home. On their arrival, officers found Gacy had unplugged his sub uh, sub pump, mm-hmm. flooding the crawl space with water. To clear it, they simply replaced the plug and waited <laughs> for the water to drain. He was trying to fuck everything up. Didn't After work. it had done so, evidence technician Daniel uh, Ginty, Ginty, Ginty. Anyway, I don't know. <laughs> Entered the twenty-eight by thirty-eight foot. Uh, crawl space crawled to the southwest area and began digging so if you go to the notes i have two different pictures uh labeled crawl space yeah so if you want to look at those i do whoa so one of them you can see the guy digging down there the one that says crawl space too okay okay he's that's after they had started digging that is how much area he was working with down there well, okay, because I was wondering, okay, it's a crawl space. Look at the other picture now. How are you? Before they started digging out the graves. That's how much room he had down yeah. there. So how, like that. That's why he was having them boys do his work for I him. I know, but I mean, that's not that much room. Vertically. Height, yeah. yeah. Height wise, it's not much room. But At all. I mean, it, it's a crawl space. Yeah. Hello, but wow. And they dug mm-hmm. up that much. Yep. Uncovering bodies. Holy shit. Insane, right? Yes. Within minutes, he had uncovered putrefied flesh and a human arm bone. Mm. Uh, Genty immediately shouted to the investigators that they could charge Gacy with murder, adding, I think this place is full of kids. Oh, God. A police photographer then uh, dug in the northeast corner, so he's getting his hands dirty, too. Uncovering a patella. The two then began digging in the southeast corner, uncovering two lower leg bones. Oh, my God. Seriously, can you imagine being them? Mm-mm. I don't want to. Oh. It probably smelled awful in there. Oh. Ooh. No, he had the lime. Mm. <laughs> Gross. The victims were too decomposed to be pieced. Mm-hmm. As the body discovered in the northeast corner was later unearthed, a crime scene technician discovered the skull of a second, second victim alongside the body. Oh, my God. Later excavations of the feet of the second victim revealed another skull beneath that body. Mm -hmm. Because of this, technicians returned to the trench where the first body was unearthed, discovering the rib cage of a fourth victim within the crawl space, confirming the scale of the murders. They were like, oh, shit, Shit. what did we get into? Yeah. Because they originally thought they were looking for one. And then uh, Gacy told him one, two, one. So they thought they were looking for two bodies and five, six. Um, after being informed that the police had found human remains in his crawl space and that he would now face murder charges, Gacy told officers he wanted to clear the air, ah. adding he had known his arrest was inevitable since the previous evening, which he had spent on the couch in his lawyer's office. In Don't the, care. Yeah. In the early morning hours of December 22nd and in the presence of his lawyers, Gacy provided a formal statement in which he confessed to murdering approximately 30 young males all of whom he claimed had entered his house willingly. Mm. So if you want to go look at the other mugshot, this one is eerie. Ew. He's laughing. He is laughing. Like, he's like big laughing. 
He does not Mm-mm. give any fucks. Zero fucks. Yeah. Ugh, he's so sick. Right? Some victims were referred to by name, but Gacy claimed not to know or remember most of the names. He claimed all were teenage male runaways or male prostitutes. The majority he had buried in his crawl space. Gacy claimed to have only dug five of the victims' graves in this location and had his employees, including Gregory Godzik, dig, which was one of the victims, Mm -hmm. dig the remaining trenches so that he would have graves available. Oh, my God. In January 1979, he had planned to conceal the corpses even further by covering the entire crawl space with concrete. But he had gotten, he got arrested before he could do that. You done got caught. Mm-hmm. When questioned specifically about Peast, Gacy confessed to luring him into his house and strangling him on the evening of December 11th. He also admitting, admitted to having slept alongside Peast's body that evening. Gross. Before disposing of the corpse in the Desplaines River in the early hours of December 13th. Yuck. On his way to the police station, he had been in a minor traffic accident after disposing of Peast. His vehicle had slid off an ice-covered road and had to be towed from its location. So he dumped that boy's body in the river, got in an accident, and then went to the police station covered in mud because I can't. Accompanied by police, his lawyers, and his older sister, Gacy was driven to the I-55 bridge on December 23rd to pinpoint the precise spot where he confessed to having thrown the body of Robert Peast and four other victims into the Desplaines River. Gacy was then taken to his house and instructed to mark his garage floor with orange spray paint to show where he had buried the individual he had supposedly killed in self-defense. There's whom, more! There's whom he more. named as John Butkovich. Oh. Well, the... You already know about all the victims at this point. There's going to be a lot of orange spray paint. Mm -hmm. To assist officers in their search for victims buried beneath his house, during his confession, Gacy drew a rough diagram of his basement on a phone message sheet to indicate where their bodies were buried. Oh, my God. 26 bodies were unearthed from Gacy's crawl space over the next week. Three more were also unearthed elsewhere on his property. Oh, my God. Like the one under the garage. Yeah. Cook bedroom. County. Well, that was in the crawl space. All the bedroom ones, that was the crawl space under oh, the bedroom. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I gotcha, I gotcha. Cook County Medical Examiner Robert Stein supervised the examinations. Each victim Ooh. unearthed from the crawl space was placed in a body bag, which was placed near the front door awaiting transportation to the mortuary. All the victims discovered at 8213 West Somerdale were in an advanced state of decomposition. Dental records and x-ray chart helped Stein identify the remains. 23 victims were identified via dental records, with two further victims identified uh, via skeletal trauma. Oh, my God. These identifications were also supported with personal artifacts found in Gacy's home. The head and upper torso of several bodies unearthed beneath Gacy's property had been placed into plastic bags. Several were also found with a rope still around their necks. Oh, my God. In some cases, bodies were found with foreign objects, such as prescription bottles lodged into their pelvic region, Mm. the position of which indicated the items had been thrust into the victim's anus. Mm -hmm. Stein concluded 12 victims recovered from Gacy's property died not of strangulation, but of asphyxiation. Gacy's vacant house was demolished in April 1979. According to one worker involved in the demolition of Gacy's house, Quote, if the devil's alive, he lived here. End quote. Yeah. 
The victim found six miles downstream from the I-55 bridge on June 30th was not connected initially to Gacy. In January 1979, this victim was identified using fingerprint records and a distinctive tattoo on his left bicep, reading Tim Lee, an homage to Bruce Lee, as Timothy O'Rourke. <gasps> oh, okay. Yeah. Aww. An autopsy was unable to rule out strangulation as the cause of death. This victim was number 31. Following Gacy's arrest, investigators discovered he was a further victim. Frank Landigan's cause of death was certified at autopsy as suffocation through his own underwear being lodged down his throat, oh plugging his airway and effectively causing him to drown in his own vomit. Oh, God. He was assigned victim number 32. On December 28th, one further body linked to Gacy was found one mile from the I-55 bridge. This victim was identified as James Mazzara, whom Gacy confessed to having murdered shortly after Thanksgiving. Mazzara had been strangled with a ligature. Mm. On April 9th, 1979, a decomposed body was discovered entangled in exposed roots on the edge of the Des Plaines River in Grundy County. The body was identified using dental records as being that of Robert Peast. Oh, they found him. Mm-hmm. A subsequent autopsy revealed that three wads of paper-like material had been shoved down his throat while he was still alive, causing him to suffocate. Gacy was brought to trial on February 6th, 1980, charged with 33 murders. He was tried in Cook County, Illinois, before Judge Louis Garippo. The jury was selected from Rockford because of significant press coverage in Cook County. Mm -hmm. At the request of his defense counsel, Gacy spent over 300 hours with doctors at the Menard Correctional Center in Chester in the year before his trial. He underwent a variety of psychological tests before a panel of psychiatrists to determine whether he was mentally competent to stand trial. Gacy attempted to convince the doctors that he had multiple personality disorder. He claimed to have four personalities, the hardworking civic minded contractor, the clown, the active politician, <laughs> and a policeman <laughs> called Jack Hanley, whom he referred to as Bad Jack. Okay. <laughs> when Gacy had confessed to police, he claimed to be re relaying the crimes of Jack, who detested homosexuality and who viewed male prostitutes as weak, stupid, and degraded scum. His words, not mine. Yeah. His lawyers opted to have Gacy plead not guilty by reason of insanity to the charges against him. Presenting Gacy as a Jekyll and Hyde character, the defense produced several psychiatric experts, 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 <laughs> who had examined <laughs> Gacy. Three psychiatric experts at Gacy's trial testified they found him to be a paranoid schizophrenic with multiple personalities. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The prosecutors presented the case that Gacy was sane and in full control of his actions. To support this contention, they produced several witnesses to testify to the premeditation of Gacy's actions and the efforts he took to escape detection. Those doctors refuted the defense doctor's claims of multiple personalities and insanity. Cram and Rossi testified that Gacy had made them dig drainage ditches and spread bags of lime in his crawl space. Both said Gacy looked periodically into the crawlspace to ensure they and other employees they supervised did not deviate from the precise locations he had marked. To me, that oh. says he knew exactly what he was doing. Yeah. If he, he was pre-digging graves in his crawlspace. Come the fuck yeah. on. Yeah. On February 18th, Robert Stein testified that all the bodies recovered from Gacy's property were decomposed and putrefied, skeletonized remains, mm. and that all of the autopsies he performed, 13 victims had died of asphyxiation, six of ligature strangulation, one of multiple stab wounds to the chest, and 10 in undetermined ways. 
when Gacy's defense team suggested that all 33 deaths were caused by accidental erotic asphyxia, Stein called this highly improbable. Okay. Dude, he just That's said. That's not accidental. Yeah. And he just he listed said he all did the ways. Yeah. yeah. Ugh. Jeffrey Rignall testified on behalf of the defense on February 21st. Recounting his ordeal, Rignall wept repeatedly while describing Gacy's torture of him in March 1978. I can only imagine. I know. Asked whether Gacy appreciated the criminality of his actions, Rignall said he believed that Gacy was unable to conform his actions to the law's expectations because of the beastly and animalistic ways he attacked me. Agreed. During specific cross-examination relating to the torture, Rignall vomited and was excused from further testimony. Oh, poor guy. On February 29th, Donald Voorhees, you remember him? Yeah! Whom Gacy sexually assaulted in 1967, testified to his ordeal at Gacy's hands and his subsequent attempts to dissuade him from testifying by paying another youth to spray mace in his face and beat him. So now they listen to him. Mm Mm-hmm. Good. Well, no, they listened to him the first time, but they let him out of jail after 18 months. Right. Voorhees felt unable to testify, but did briefly attempt to do so before being asked to step down. Robert Donnelly testified the week after Voorhees, recounting his ordeal at Gacy's hands in December 1977. Donnelly was visibly distressed as he recalled the abuse he endured and came close to breaking down several times. As Donnelly testified, Gacy repeatedly laughed at him. Oh, God. Oh, that pisses me off. But Donnelly finished his testimony. During Donnelly's cross-examination, one of Gacy's defense attorneys, Robert Moda, attempted to discredit his testimony, but Donnelly did not waver from his testimony of what he had occurred. Good job. Wow. Yeah. Ugh. Phil. During the fifth week of the trial, Gacy wrote a personal letter to Judge Garippo requesting a mistrial for a number of reasons, including that he did not approve of his lawyer's insanity plea, that his lawyers had not allowed him to take the witness stand as he had wanted to do, that his defense had not called enough medical witnesses, and that police were lying with regard to verbal statements he had allegedly made to detectives after his arrest, and that in any event, the statements were self-serving for use by the prosecution. Judge Grippo addressed Gacy's letter by informing him that both counsels had not been denied the opportunity or funds to summon expert witnesses to testify, and that under the law, he had the choice whether he wished to testify and was free to indicate as much to the judge if he wished to do so. (laughs) So pretty much, fuck you, dude. Yeah. On March 11th, final arguments by both prosecution and defense attorneys began. They concluded the following day. Prosecuting attorney Terry Sullivan spoke first outlining Gacy's history of abusing youths, the testimony of his efforts to avoid detection, and describing his surviving victims as living dead. That's how Gacy described his surviving victims. Ew. Referring to Gacy as the worst of all murderers, Mm. Sullivan stated, quote, John Gacy has accounted for more human devastation than many earthly catastrophes, but one must tremble. I tremble when thinking about just how close he came to getting away with it all. Yeah. End quote. After the state's four-hour closing, counsel Sam Amarante spoke for the defense. Amarante argued against the testimony delivered by the doctors who had testified for the prosecution, repeatedly citing the testimony of the four psychiatrists and psychologists who had testified on behalf of the defense. So there's an equal amount of doctors on either side, like, damn, saying different things. Amarante also accused Sullivan of scarcely referring to the evidence presented throughout the trial in his own closing argument, and of arousing 
hatred against his client. No, your client did that shit yeah, to himself. No. <laughs> yeah. Fuck off. The defense lawyer attempted to portray Gacy as a man driven by compulsions he was unable to control, contending the state had not met their burden of proving Gacy sane beyond a reasonable doubt. In support of these arguments, the defense referred to the testimony of the doctors who had appeared for the defense in addition to defense witnesses, such as Jeffrey Rignaw and a former business associate of Gacy's, both of whom had testified to their belief that Gacy had been unable to control his actions. Amarante then urged the jury to put aside any prejudice they held against his client and asked they deliver a verdict of not guilty (laughs) by reason of insanity, adding that Gacy was a danger to both himself and to others, and that studying his psychology and behavior would be of benefit to science. I agree with part of that. Mm -hmm. That just that last part. Yeah. (laughs) Studying the psychology. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. On the morning of March 12th, William Kunkel <laughs> continued to argue for the prosecution. I'm so glad my last name's not Kunkel. Kunkel, Kunkel referred to the defense's uh, contention of insanity as a sham, arguing that the facts of the case demonstrated Gacy's ability to think logically and control his actions. Kunkel also referred to the testimony of one of the doctors who had examined Gacy in 1968 and had concluded that he was an antisocial personality capable of committing crimes without remorse and unlikely to benefit from social or psychiatric treatment, stating that had the recommendations of this doctor been heeded, Gacy would not have been freed. At the close of his argument, Kunkel removed photos of Gacy's 22 identified victims from a display board and asked the jury not to show sympathy, but to show justice. Kunkel then asked the jury to show the same sympathy this man showed when he took these lives and put them there. Yeah. Before throwing the stack of photos into the opening of the trap door from Gacy's crawl space, which had been introduced as evidence and was on display in the courtroom. You know, that had to have been a powerful moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like just <laughs> ripping them off the wall. Don't show sympathy, show justice before he put them there and like throwing them. At the, yeah. That's like hell. Yeah. Yeah. You go, Kunkle. <laughs> you go, Glen Coco. Four for you, Glen Coco. <laughs> I have a sweatshirt that says that. Oh, God. <laughs> it says four for you, Glen Coco. You go, Glen Coco. Oh, my God. It's great. And it has candy canes on it. That's awesome. I'm really cool. Yes, you are. I know it doesn't always sound that way, but I'm really cool. She's totally cool. (laughs) I mean, look at who she keeps company with. I mean, don't judge me by that, but hey! (laughs) Ouch! All right. After Kunkel had finished his testimony, the jury retired to consider their verdict. Guilty. Guilty. The jury deliberated for less than two hours and found Gacy guilty of 33 charges of murder. Yeah. He was also found guilty of sexual assault and taking indecent liberties with a child. Yeah. Both convictions in reference to Robert Peace. Mm-hmm. At the time, his conviction for 33 murders was the most for which any person in U.S. history had been convicted. In the sentencing phase of the trial, the jury deliberated for more than two hours before sentencing Gacy to death for each murder committed after the Illinois state statute on capital punishment came into effect in June 1977. So everybody he killed after 1977, he got the death penalty on. Everybody else, he got life in prison. But either way, you're going to die. Yeah. 
Just one death penalty is enough. Oh, but he's going to stretch this shit out. Of course. His execution was set for June 2nd, 1980. On being sentenced, Gacy was transferred to the Menard Correctional Center, where he remained incarcerated on death row for 14 years. Before his trial had started, Gacy initiated contact with WLS-TV journalist Russ Ewing, uh, to whom he granted numerous interviews between 1979 and 1981. Ewing later collaborated with author Tim Cahill to publish the book Buried Dreams. Ooh, on the list. I know. I haven't read that one. Later, the information Gacy divulged to Ewing uh, would prove instrumental in establishing the identity of his first victim. Nice. On February 15th, 1983, Henry Brisbane, a fellow death row inmate known as the I-57 killer. Gonna have to look that up. Do you know him? Yeah. Cool. Stabbed Gacy in the upper arm with a sharpened wire as Gacy was participating in a voluntary work program. A second death row inmate injured in the attack, William Jones, received a superficial stab wound to the head. Both received treatment in the prison hospital for their wounds, but they were fine. Okay. fine. Nobody died. Yeah. After his incarceration, Gacy read numerous law books and filed many motions and appeals, although he wasn't successful in any yeah, of them. Yeah, okay, dude. His appeals related to issues such as the validity of the first search warrant granted to the Displains police on December 13th, 1978, and his objection to his lawyer's insanity plea uh, defense at his trial. Bruh. Gacy also contended that although he had some knowledge of five of the murders, those of McCoy, Butkovich, Godzik, Sick, and Peast, the other 28 murders had been committed by employees who had keys to his house while he was away on business trips. (laughs) Fuck off. Uh, no. No, boo-boo. No. In mid-1984, the Supreme Court of Illinois upheld Gacy's conviction and ordered his execution by lethal injection on November 14th. Yeah. Gacy filed an appeal, (laughs) of course, against this decision, which was denied by the Supreme Court of the United States on United States. Jeez. On March 4th, 1985. The following year, Gacy filed a further (laughs) post conviction petition seeking a new trial. His then defense lawyer, Richard Kling, argued that Gacy had been provided with ineffective legal counsel at his 1980 trial. Okay, no. Calm your shit. This post-conviction <laughs> petition was dismissed on September 11th, 1986. Yeah, he was convicted of all 33 counts, and then mm-hmm. he got death penalties for how many of them? A lot. <laughs> A majority. I- I have no brain for math right now. I don't now. know. I, I could go back and look, but... I'm not going to. A bunch. Like I said, one death penalty is enough. You mm-hmm. should not be even be allowed to appeal stuff. Well, they get... All prisoners get a certain number yeah, of appeals. Yeah, and I understand some are actually innocent, so that's mm-hmm. good. But damn, he's guilty. He's so guilty. Just... Gacy appealed the 1985 decision that he be executed. <laughs> the <laughs> Illinois Supreme Court upheld his conviction on September 29th, 1988, yeah. setting a new execution date of January 11th, 1989. Okay, let's just keep pushing it back. Isolated in his prison cell, Gacy began to paint. He drew inspiration oh, from a wide range of sources from for his artwork, yeah. with his paintings depicting subjects um, as diverse as Christ, birds, Skulls, his own home, and John Dillinger. Mm-hmm. Many paintings were of clowns, including himself as Pogo or Patches. Yeah. His Hi Ho series featured scenes of Walt Disney's versions of the Seven Dwarves. Yeah. 
Although Gacy was permitted to earn money from the sale of his paintings until 1985, he claimed his artwork was intended to bring joy into people's lives. I can't. Many of Gacy's paintings have been displayed at exhibitions. Others have been sold at various auctions with individual prices ranging between $200 to $20,000. Following Gacy's execution, (laughs) family members of his victims publicly burned several of his paintings. I saved three pictures of paintings. Okay. So if you want to go to the notes. Yeah. If you look at the one that says art, that is a picture he painted of himself as Pogo. Uh-huh. And then the one that says art two, that's a picture of him as Patches. Okay. So we do have a picture of Patches. Sort of, yeah. Okay. And then art three is one that he did of Charles Manson. I was going to say, I know who that is. <laughs> but wow. if you just Google John Wayne Gacy art, there are tons I'm not going to lie. Like, I would be, I would have that shit on display. Be like, look, I have an part original of me, artwork. Part I of me would love it. to own it, and part of me is freaked out by it. But we did get to see some of it in person when we visited the Museum of Death yeah, in New did. Orleans. Unfortunately, they don't let you take pictures inside there, so we couldn't take pictures of anything. But oh, y'all would have loved it. It was fabulous. So good. It's insane. She even bought her hubby to- a, a souvenir. I know. We even got to see a pair of Eileen Warnos's yeah. underwear that she wore in prison. Yeah. Like, I that, don't really know that, why that was there, but it it's was the there. most <laughs> insane stuff that they have in there. Just anything, con- anything connected to murder in whatever way was in there. And it was, insane. it is all available to look at. So go to New Orleans and look at it. Yeah. You, you won't be sorry. Mm-mm. Okay. We're almost done, guys and gals. Holy shit. After the U.S. Supreme Court denied Gacy's final appeal in October 1993, the Illinois Supreme Court formally set an execution date for May 10th, 1994. On that morning, Gacy was transferred from the Menard Correctional Center to Stateville Correctional Center in Crest Hill to be executed. That afternoon, he was allowed a private picnic on the prison grounds with his family. For his last meal, Gacy ordered a bucket of KFC, a dozen fried shrimp, French fries, fresh strawberries, and a Diet Coke. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So we have part of his death meal. Mm -hmm. Okay. That evening, he observed prayer with a Catholic priest before being escorted to the Stateville Execution Chamber to receive a lethal injection. Yeah. Before the execution began, the chemicals used to affect the execution solidified unexpectedly. Clogging the IV tube used to administer the chemicals into Gacy's arm, complicating the procedure. Mm. Blinds covering the window through which witnesses observed the execution were drawn. The execution team replaced the clogged tube. After 10 minutes, the blinds were reopened and the execution resumed. The entire procedure took 18 minutes. It's not supposed to take that long. No. Anesthesiologists blamed the problem on the prison officials' inexperience at conducting an execution, saying uh, that had correct execution procedures been followed, the complications would have never occurred. This error apparently led to Illinois adopting an alternative method of lethal injection. Mm -hmm. On this subject, one prosecutor at Gacy's trial, William Kunkel, Said, quote, he got a much easier death than any of his victims, end quote. He's like, no sympathy for this motherfucker. I mean, I really, yeah, I don't give a fuck. I hope he suffered. 
According to published reports, Gacy was a diagnosed psychopath who did not express any remorse for his crimes. Mm-hmm. His final statement to his lawyer before his execution was that killing him would not compensate for the loss of others and that the state was murdering him. His final <laughs> spoken words were reported to be, kiss my ass. Nice. Okay. Real classy. In the hours leading up to Gacy's execution, a crowd estimated at over a thousand gathered outside the correctional center. A vocal majority were in favor of the execution, although a number of anti-death penalty protesters were also present. Some of those in favor of the execution, and I want one of these so bad, wore t-shirts hearkening to Gacy's previous community services as a clown and bearing satirical slogans such as, no tears for the clown. (gasps) Oh my God. How awesome would it be? Hey, hey, hey. If any of you web sleuths out there can find one of these shirts and direct me to it or make one no i want a shirt you want an official shirt yeah Ooh. i'll pay dollars for it like you gonna have to pay some dollars help me that. find it if anybody can help me find it Matt? Oh Matt you? Uh, he has add he can't he can't stay online that long <laughs> he can't stay online that long okay 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 <laughs> well i'm sure there's somebody out there yes. that can find one <laughs> Come on. Okay. Now, oh, the anti-death penalty protesters uh, present observed a silent candlelit vigil. Mm. After Gacy's death was confirmed at 1258 a.m. on May 10th, 1994, his brain was removed. Yeah. It is in the possession of Helen Morrison, a witness <gasps> for the defense at Gacy's trial, who has interviewed Gacy and other serial killers in an attempt to isolate common personality traits of violent sociopaths. His body was cremated. Read Helen Morrison's book. Yeah. Oh, my God. Have you read it? I'm pretty sure I still have it. (gasps) I want to borrow it. I'll look on my bookshelf. Okay. I'm pretty sure we still have it. Yes. Stephen and I have both read it. Oh, my God. Yes, please. But I didn't realize until I did my research that she was uh, a witness for the defense. Yeah. So it's oh, been a while shit. since I read that book, so I probably need to read again. Knowing what you know now? Yeah. Yeah. Because it's been years. Okay. Only 28 of Gacy's victims were conclusively identified. Mm. Of these, the youngest were Samuel Stapleton and Michael Marino, both 14. Yeah. The eldest were Francis Alexander and Russell Nelson, both 21. Five victims have never been identified. When asked whether there were more victims, Gacy stated... Quote, that's for you guys to find out. Fuck. End quote. So one Asshole. last picture. Yeah. Um, the most current picture I found of him, it says most current. Okay. Ugh. I know. Ugh. I know. He doesn't get it. Like, makes me want to vomit. The only picture in which he was cute was the childhood picture. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's all he had going for him because it just totally went downhill from there. But that's my case. Holy crap, woman. It was so much. I'm so sorry. No, I was hanging on every word. <laughs> I know you were. I hope these people didn't turn me off. too, because, oh my God. It was fabulous. Like, this was the case that really, for real, got me into serial killers. Nice. I had been interested before. Like, uh-huh. I was always fascinated with Charles Manson and, yeah. you know, culty shit. Yeah. The popular ones. Yeah. Yeah. But when I first heard about this, mm-hmm. it's like it's a oh whole different level of yes. fucked up here. It's, it's crazy. That's what really got me into it. So I've been dying to do this. Been dying to do it. 
You did a very, very good job. And now I know what Amanda's doing next week. (laughs) But I don't know all the deets. Yeah. So I'm super excited for hers, too. Oh, my God. I hope y'all enjoy, like, y'all are enjoying this very, like, you enjoyed the very detailed story. Giving y'all some variety. Yeah. A little bit of something different. So all of the details. Yeah. I like all the little details. Yeah. I I love that you were able to just do so much. Yeah. If we did a regular episode, you would have had something like this cut out so much of everything. Yeah. So anyway, um, speaking of something else different. Oh, yeah. We have decided, um, that we are going to take a break in December. Yes. So we'll have Amanda's episode mm-hmm. next week, mm-hmm. and then we'll have one episode in December, and then we are going to take a break until New Year's, until yes. after New Year's, um, and then we'll start coming back to you every Wednesday, same time, you know, same places. Don't worry, you guys, we will be back. Yes, we just want to uh, regroup and gear up for season two. Yeah, because we have a lot of stuff coming. So many ideas, so much stuff in the works, but... Um, We'll still be communicating with you guys on Absolutely. social media Let's and not lose touch. Yes. It's we, just a we couple of weeks. Y'all. Christmas is cray, especially when you have kids. Yeah. And so we just want to kind of take some time for our family and some time for us to regroup and get situated and make sure we can bring you guys all the best stories for self care next season. Keep it, keeping ourselves sane for you guys. Somewhat. <laughs> so as, as much as I mean, possible. we're doing the best we can. <laughs> <laughs> oh, also, yeah, want to give a shout out. Oh, yeah, we got a new uh, iTunes review. Yeah, we did from Kristen Vandenbrand. Thank you, baby. Thank you. She's uh, she's been a listener since the beginning, but yeah. just recently started listening on Apple. So thank you. Yes, ma'am. You want to read her review? I can. Let me pull it yeah. up real quick. Might as well. Let's do it. Yeah, because you did post the other ones on social media, yeah. didn't you? Okay, so our review from Kristen says, Love the stories y'all tell, and y'all definitely keep it interesting. Always get a ton of laughs. Look forward to it every week. Thank oh, you. thank you, Kristen. Uh, funny little <laughs> side note. Yeah. So um, Kristen works with us. Yes. And one day I went back to the department that she works in and she was just laughing away and said, I'm listening to you right now. (laughs) Then a couple days later in the break room, uh, one of our newer employees was like, so Kristen told me that uh, you have a podcast and now I'm going to have to listen to it because she's just been laughing her head off back there. (laughs) So thank you, Kristen. That's awesome. (laughs) That's awesome. I love it. I'm so glad that y'all are loving this stuff. I know. Makes us feel good. Mm-hmm. We're not just doing it for us so much anymore. Yeah. This is cool. We're sharing. Yeah. Sharing is scary. <laughs> God. <laughs> okay. Well, go follow us on all the stuffs. Yep. Rate, review. Rate, review. Get get you a sticker just like Kristen just mm-hmm. did. Share us with your friends. Yeah. That works too. Share links to the podcast or... Share us on, like, share our page on social media. Maybe we'll do some kind of contest or something. Maybe. That might be one of the regrouping things that we have to do on our break. Yeah. We might have some kind of prize or something. I'm not, I'm not saying it right now. Let's have a business have meeting. Idea. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 <laughs> our business meetings are really fun. Yeah. It's usually with, <laughs> um, alcohol and snacks 
after we record. Yeah. That's <laughs> when <laughs> so we usually finally get to eat the snacks. Yes. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we're done. Well, I was fixing to say, we'll, we'll talk at you next week, but really Amanda's going to talk at you. I'm going to do week. a lot of talking next week. I mean, week. I'll be here too, but I'm letting her run with it. I know. Next week you get to sit back and chill. I know. I'm just going to drink next week. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's nice. Very nice. Right. So shout out to Craig and Steven. I'm not going to shout out myself. And Amanda. <laughs> <laughs> For all the awesome stuff that keeps this podcast going. Yes. The backbones, you may say. Well, I mean, you're there as well. <laughs> that was so pitiful. My God. Sounding. We couldn't, we wouldn't have done this without uh, you. You're there as well. No, I meant like, come on, baby, give yourself <laughs> a little bit of credit. I'm, this was I'm your here idea. as well. She's like, hey, you want to do a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> and she looked like a deer in the headlights. I was like, and oh, then she was like, wait, wait what? Huh? <laughs> Well, because we talk to okay. all the time. And I was like, yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> <laughs> so we did it. At the picnic tables. Yep. At, at lunch it at work. work. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's where it all began. All right. Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> you can put that in right there. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, um, I'm done. See you later. No, I won't see you later. Talk um, to talk you. Talk to you later. later. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs>